0: man what's going on wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us a lot of things to discuss, a lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, namaste, wassalamu Alaikum. what's going on, what's happening, shalom, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. K passe mi amigos? Biamo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Oh man, I am recording this. I guess you could say I'm recording this either on a late Saturday night or an early Sunday morning, whatever it is. I want to thank you very much for downloading the podcast, for listening to my podcast. I'm going to give you everything that I've got 100% from the beginning all the way to the end of the journey concerning this podcast. So I am excited. I am rip-roaring, ready to go. So what are we going to be discussing on Wendell's World of Sports today? Super Bowl, man. We got the Super Bowl coming up, depending upon when you download this bad boy. It's going to be, as I'm recording this, what is it, around 15 hours? Before we go ahead and we start the uh, Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Defending Champions. Who do you got? Who do you want? Got any money in the game? Got any skins on the game? Who do you got in this game, man? For me, myself, and I? I have no rooting interest. I wish the Washington Snyder skins were here, but uh, we're in the game. But that's not possible. That's probably not going to be possible for a few years. So I guess if you take a look at this game, Tampa and Kansas City, number one, I just want an exciting game. I want a close game. That's number one, first and foremost. But I don't know. I guess you can say because I'm expecting Kansas City to win despite how well Tampa Bay is playing. I guess I'm going to go ahead and uh, go with Kansas City. Not only if I had to put down some money, if there was some valuable possession that I had to uh, put down in terms of who was going to win this football game, I would put that on Kansas City. But uh, as I mentioned before, Tom Brady gets the seventh uh, Super Bowl, elevates himself to an even greater uh, standard um that would be great for me too that would be awesome that would be great storylines anything that i can come in next week and talk about in terms of the super bowl that's something that's juicy something that's going to give me a lot of meat on the bone to pick at and discuss and give my thoughts and opinions about yeah that's the main thing that i'm rooting for i'm rooting for storylines so the next time i do this podcast and we talk about the super bowl that's going to be all right What's your stance now if Kansas City wins? is What's your stance now? What's your thoughts and feelings now? Has Kansas City officially entered dynasty mode? Is Patrick Mahomes now without question the face of face of this league? Are we now starting the path? Are we now going to start the comparisons eventually between him and Tom Brady? And if Tom Brady wins, goodness gracious, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with Tom Brady if he wins the Super Bowl for number seven? I mean, we can't put him any higher. We already considered him the GOAT in terms of quarterbacks are concerned. I guess now you can put him in the rare, I think he's already there in the rarefied era of a Jim Brown and a Jerry Rice and all the other all-time great players. I I think when you're talking about all-time greats, arguably that Brady is top three, four. You can make an argument for Walter Payton. You can make an argument for Jim Brown. You can make an argument for Jerry Rice. But couldn't, If Brady wins this Super Bowl, does he surpass all of those guys? I mean, maybe you have to wear he's already number one. It's going to really mean nothing in terms of uh, elevating his stature, elevating his legacy. He's already at the top of the mountain. There's no other mountain to climb in that regard. So do we now, as I mentioned before in my other podcast, do we now transition Brady from just being the greatest in terms of football to the greatest athlete in team sports is concerned, at least in North America? When we speak about basketball, baseball, football, even hockey. Now with Brady, if he wins his seventh championship, wins his seventh Super Bowl, are we now going to say move over LeBron, move over even if we want to go to individual sports. Move over Novak, move over Roger, Move move over Rafa, move over Michael Phelps, move over Usain, move over all those guys, there's a new sheriff in town and his name is Tom Brady. So those are the storylines. Those are the things that, uh, you know, are going to be available to me to bring to you the next time early next week when I'm going to be discussing the Super Bowl and how it came out. Of course, going over the ins and outs. And of course, there's going to be plays and there's going to be decisions made by both coaches, which... People are going to take and say, Oh, I can't believe that Andy Reid's an idiot. How could he do something like that? Oh, my goodness gracious. Did you see the call or did you see that play call by, uh, Bruce Arians? What is he doing? How could he have not gone for that? How could he have not kicked that field goal? How could he have not called that play? How, you know, so we're going to be second guessing this bad boy, the bad boy to, uh, the heaven and earth and all the way down to hell. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that for the most part. In a football game, just like in, in any other sporting event, just like in life, there's really not one play that decides a game. There's not one decision that determines whether you're going to be successful or unsuccessful on a ball field, in a playing field, in an arena, in a stadium, in life, in a business setting, whatever it is, man, so... I know people, if it, especially if it's a close game, people are going to be concentrating on, in the fourth quarter about a call here, a call there. He should have passed when he should have ran. He should have ran when he should have passed. He should have gone for it instead of kicking a punt. He should have gone for it instead of kicking a field goal. He should have kicked a field goal instead of going for a touchdown. All of this nonsense. He should have stopped him on third down. He should have called timeout. He should have not used that timeout at that present time of the game. All of this stuff is going to be talked to death. Me, myself, and I, Tribe Call Quest, I I don't do that stuff because, again, it doesn't come down to one single play, one single call, one single decision in terms of uh, winning anything. So, yeah, but I'm still going to have a lot to talk about. I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking about this as I was thinking about Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I was thinking to myself, man, if I'm a TV exec or if I'm the NFL, Von Goodell, or whatever, man. Who am I rooting for? And what am I hoping for concerning this game? Number one. It's got to be a great game. It's got to be a close game. You like classic. You like, you know, the ending that Seattle and New England had a few years ago. You would like the ending that uh, New England have with the L.A. Rams or back then the St. Louis Rams. You, you, you don't want the L.A. Rams versus the New England Patriots from a few years ago. You don't want Seattle, Denver from a few years ago. You don't want an ugly game like Denver versus Carolina, where it was mainly... Um, defensive oriented. You don't want anything like that. You want something where the final score is going to be like 54-51 or some nonsense like that. But if I'm the NFL moving forward for the good or the betterment of the league, I think you have to root for Kansas City in terms of winning the football game. Because yeah, Tom's talking about TB12. He's talking about, you know, I want to play till 45 and beyond and all those type of things. But I think moving forward, and you want to start you want to start the next chapter in terms of okay again, Brady wins the Super Bowl in terms of his stature as a football player in the n f l can't rise anymore i mean you know it's it's just like it's just like adding more frosting to the cake, you know what I'm saying, but building the resume the city, but if Mahomes in Kansas City wins this football game <clears throat> Now, all of a sudden, we can start building that resume. Now we can start that discussion. Now, in earnest, we can start saying, Mahomes, if he continues to do what he's doing for, because we got the short attention spans, and we don't want to wait another 16, 15, 16, 17 years to finally have this discussion in earnest and make it really concrete and make it a lot better. We we want to have this discussion. We want to have this debate. We want to have this argument right now. We want to have it in the next couple of seasons. So Mahomes wins the second Super Bowl in a row. Now all of a sudden the discussion starts. Tom Brady material or Tom Brady might be the GOAT. How long is it going to take for Mahomes to reach him, to pass him? What does Mahomes need to do to get to that status? How many Super Bowls does he need to win? How many touchdowns does he need to throw? How many yards does he need to pass for? We can start having that conversation right now. And not only with that, between Mahomes and Brady, we can also start saying, Kansas City, new dynasty. Is there a new dynasty in town? Comparing that now to the New England Patriots, they win two in a row, really in all all earnest. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't put them with any of the great teams, even for a short little stretch. If we're speaking about the the Pittsburgh Steelers won four Super Bowls in nine years. The Dallas Cowboys won, what, three or four Super Bowls, three Super Bowls or something like that in six or seven years. I mean, for us to all of a sudden now start ranking Kansas City with those teams, or even mention the D word with Kansas City after winning their second championship in three years, premature, premature in my estimation and my guesstimation in my opinion, but again, And you're speaking about the talking shows, and you're speaking about the podcast, and we're speaking about the uh, Shannon and Skip show. We're speaking about Stephen A. and Max, and we're speaking about the uh, the, the Bill Simmons and all that type of stuff. We're going to have to sit there and come up with something. We're going to have to sit up there and come up with something to pique your attention, and make you start thinking, to make you go, hmm. So this is going to be the thing. We just can't say, yeah, nice win by Kansas City. Let's see them do it three more times before we start equating them with the 90s Dallas Cowboys, with the 80s San Francisco 49ers, with the 70s Pittsburgh Steelers, with the 60s Green Bay Packers, with the 50s Cleveland Browns, with the 90s Dallas Cowboys, with the uh, 21st century New England Patriots. Let's, let's just let's just slow down a little bit. And before we start inviting Patrick Mahomes to the VIP section, which has a Joe Montana and a Tom Brady and a Johnny Unitas and a Sammy Ball and a Peyton Manning, and those type of players. Before before we start saying, hey, uh, Patrick, come on up and leave Jake for State Farm down at the, the, at, the uh, uh, at at the the Losers Lounge. Before we start saying those type of things, let, let, let's, let's just calm down. Because two Super Bowls, three years. Again, Patrick coming out. Haven't seen anything like this in terms of from the beginning of his career. How prolific he's been. The responsibility he has as a quarterback. Again, I've mentioned it before. He has the responsibility. He's a guy who's starting or who's in his third year as a starting quarterback, his fourth year in the league, this guy already has the responsibilities of a 10- or 11-year veteran who has been a Super Bowl champion, who has been an MVP, who has been to multiple Pro Bowls, who has been the quarterback all-pro team four or five times already. That's that's the responsibility that Patrick Mahomes already has. And he still hasn't reached his ceiling. He still hasn't reached his potential yet. So if he gets to that point, God willing, if he stays healthy and the organization around them takes care of them. And they don't go Bill O'Brien on the poor guy. What What is Patrick Mahomes going to look like in 2025, 2027, if this world's still around? what is How good is this guy going to be? But we can't wait until that time comes. We, we can't. We need to have that discussion now. So after three productive seasons... Is Patrick Mahomes you know, already in the same class as Tom Brady? Goodness gracious, sakes alive. I'm TB. I'm like, really, man? It took me, what, fucking 15, 16, 17 years to finally get the GOAT status? It took me a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, a lot of preparation, a lot of luck, a lot of skill, a lot of determination, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and all that bullshit cachet and cliches to get me to this point, and you're already going to uh, talk about... Patrick Mahomes even coming close to me right now? Man, Patrick Mahomes, I ain't ain't even his daddy. In terms of accomplishments, in terms of wanting to compare me to somebody, you're going to compare me to Patrick Mahomes? I don't give a fuck what he did his first year under center uh, with the uh, the Kansas City football team. I don't care how many yards he passed for. I don't care how many touchdowns he had. I don't care how many fancy passes he threw. I don't care how many otherworldly type of plays that he made I don't even give a damn that he won two Super Bowls assuming that he wins the Super Bowl on Sunday I don't give a shit about all that motherfucker I've been in this goddamn league for 18 fucking years man I've got six count them six count them six Super Bowl championships on my hand I've been to 10 count them bitch 10 Super Bowls and you're gonna come up here and talk about Patrick Mahomes comes close to me Man, I ain't even this daddy. That motherfucker ain't even born yet. When you start talking about comparing his legacy, comparing, you know, anything that he's done to me. Fuck that being the daddy. I haven't even met his mama yet. I haven't even had sex with his mama yet. For you to be talking about anything close to Patrick Mahomes being the gro- the greatest or next in line or anything like that. Man, if I'm Deshaun Watson and a couple of others, Josh Allen, maybe I'm like, hold on for a second now. Y'all going to all of a sudden push us to the side? All of a sudden now you're going to elevate my homes right there and not even think about us? Well, goddamn, let me go ahead and start doing a little bit more training. Let me go ahead and start working a little bit harder. Let me go ahead and start uh, evaluating my diet and get me a nutritionist in here and start working on that uh, regard. Let me go in here and start maybe getting myself another Alex, get myself an Alice Guerrero. Y'all going to be starting about... Patrick Mahomes this and Patrick Mahomes that, Patrick, 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 Patrick. Shit, if I'm Deshaun, if I'm Baker, if I'm Josh Allen, if I'm any of those guys. Shit, even Sam Darnold. I'm like, hold on for a second now. I'm a competitor too. Let me go ahead and uh, let you guys know who, what my name is and where I'm coming from. And yeah, Patrick might be ahead of the race right now, but shit. Let that motherfucker play for Houston. I, Deshaun Deshaun's like shit. Let that motherfucker play for the team I had to play for last year and see how many touchdowns and see how many Super Bowls he wins. Let 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 him be in the same organization that had Bill O'Brien at their GM and now had Jack Easter be at their uh, VP of Football Operations and and see how many see how many Super Bowls that guy wins. See how many yards that guy throws for. Let's let, let, let's see if he's being compared to Tom Brady. If he's being In that organization, Baker Mayfield can say the same thing. So there's a whole lot of things going on with the Super Bowl. And of course, it's going to center around the quarterbacks. That's what it's all about. Most folks who really don't understand the game of football concentrate mostly on the quarterbacks, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, skilled receivers. And we can take a look. There's data there. I mean, the layman, those who don't understand the game, those who aren't in the game. I, I I don't know. I mean, I could take a look and see, oh, that offensive lineman is great. Or, you know, Sam Darnold, he's, uh, I mean, um, um, Aaron Darnold, that guy's really great. Jalen Ramsey, he's shutting folks down. That's awesome. But just in terms, there's no numbers in terms of, you know, an offensive lineman to show how dominant he is. The league doesn't record pancakes. So, you know, when we take a look and we dissect the game of football, for the most part, being a fan, being a fan, We can tell when a quarterback is good and when a quarterback is bad. We can tell when a running back is good and a running back is bad. We can tell when a wide receiver is great and when a wide receiver is average and a wide receiver is no good. Can you tell when a left tackle is any good? Can you tell when a center is any good? Can you tell when a right guard is any good? Not the deodorant, but I'm talking about on the football field. You you can't really tell those things. There's really no... There's really no statistics for the most part. I mean, with the defensive line, you got sacks and tackles maybe. But for the most part, we best understand the quarterback. So when we focus on these games and when we do these things, it's easy to say Mahomes versus Manning. Excuse me, Mahomes versus um, Tom Brady. It ain't Mahomes versus Tom Brady. Tom Brady ain't playing defensive back. Tom Brady ain't playing defensive line. Tom Brady ain't playing linebacker. And Patrick Mahomes ain't playing defensive tackle. And Patrick Mahomes ain't playing saf- safety when Tom Brady's on the field. This ain't Bird versus Magic or, Le- or LeBron versus Kobe or Rafa versus Roger or Mayweather versus Pacquiao or Cormier versus Jones. This is not the one-on-one situation here. A lot of other things go into this equation. So, you know, take be cognizant of all that When you're watching the game and you're thinking to yourself, ooh, Brady wins this number seven. He's just as good as LeBron. He's just as good as uh, anybody who's played the game. Take a look at that. Remember what I just told you. When you're taking a look at the game, you're like, oh, Mahomes, he's the greatest. He's going to be the greatest. He's going to be the greatest. Every time we talk about the greatest football players of all time, who are the top five? Who are the top tens, right? Running backs, wide receivers, running backs, wide receivers, um, quarterbacks, Maybe a couple of uh, defensive ends, pass rushers, that type of thing, a linebacker like Lawrence Taylor. But we never talk about offensive guards. We never talk about safeties. We never talk about shit like that. So I can see why when we discuss the football games and when we discuss these Super Bowl winners and losers and what it means for this quarterback and his legacy and this, that, and the other, I can understand why we just focus on that and, and nothing else, but... It'll be great, man. I'm, 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 you know, <laughs> I'm roaring, ready to go. Um, I wonder who the league is rooting for, as I mentioned again. I think they're rooting for Mahomes. I think they're going to go for Mahomes for this because of the longevity. And yeah, I mean, it would be nice. It could carry over. Brady winning the seventh, 43 years old. The greatest season by anybody of such advanced age in their sport. Bringing it up now. Can he do it again at the age of 44? I just think that there's a I just think that there's a shelf limit or the expiration date on this is shorter with Brady than it is with Mahomes. And I think that with Mahomes winning the game from the NFL, with Mahomes doing what he's doing, he beats Brady, great story right there, they go on and this, that, the other. You can get more you can get more traction moving forward down the road with Mahomes than you can with Brady, so You know, who should the league be rooting for? I'm going to say the defending champions of Kansas City. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, as far as I already asked you, right? Who you're rooting for, who you're rooting for. How much is based on the fact that it's the quarterbacks, right? I love, or I like, or you like, or you love, or you admire, or you want to see this team win because mainly of the quarterback. I mean you're not sitting up there talking about, who, man, I want Tampa Bay to win because god damn it, can Sue, that's my that's my boy right there. Man, I would love to see Sue get a get a ring and that that and the other. You're not going there. This is all again centered around the quarterback. This is all centered around Tom Brady. This is all centered around Patrick Mahomes. Look, Brady's recognized as the greatest quarterback of all time. I can see why people are doing the hating. I can see why people are doing the jealous. I can see why people are sick and tired of Tom Brady. I can see why people are like, man, fuck Tom Brady, man. I'm not even I'm not even talking about deflate gate. I mean, you know, the man's 43 years old. He's married to a Super Bowl. He's won six Super Bowls. He's been to nine Super Bowls before this game. He played for the New England Patriots and a coach that's easy to hate. And loathe because they won all the time. And they didn't win with flair. They didn't win with pizzazz. They didn't win with charisma. They didn't win Deion Sanders, you know, doing the dancing and doing the this, that, and the other. You know, it was just mainly, no days off, that type of thing. And, you know, Bill Belichick ain't going to give you any sound bites worth. I mean, he's not going to give it to you on purpose. But, I mean, Bill, Coach Belichick is not the loquacious type. He's not the guy who's going to be jabbering. He's not the Kurt Schilling of coaches, as far as NFL coaches are going to are going to be c- concerned. He can be surly, he can be sn- snarky, <laughs> he can be arrogant, he can be dismissive in his press conferences. He can be very, very unlikable, shall we say, in that setting. So he does all that. You do all that. You win Super Bowls. Oh, well, on top of that, you're accused a couple of times of of, of cheating. I can see why. You know. Patriots, the Patriots way, Belichick, Tom Brady gets lumped into all of that. And not only are they winning, then of course, you know, you got the Patriot way, Patriots way, we do the right thing. And then, you know, Aaron Hernandez comes along and is like, oh, really, Patriot way, huh? Patriot way the only way to go. Let me see here. You have a double murderer on your team and you uh, cheat to win. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the Patriots way, huh? Okay. And Robert Kraft is friend, was friends with the piece of shit that was in the uh, White House Uh, for four years before Joe Biden got there. So there's a lot of things swirling around that uh, I can see people are sitting there going, man, I do not want to see fucking Tom Brady win another Super Bowl, man. I do not want to see that motherfucker win another seven. Because I know he's going to, they're going to show his fucking wife and his goddamn kids. And I know Peter King and the rest of those guys are going to go on and on and on and wax on and on and on about how great Tom Brady is and how wonderful he is and what a great human being he is and this, that, and the other. And he can walk on water and he's a Jesus with uh, blonde hair and all this kind of nonsense. So no, I have no fucking interest of hearing that bullshit again about Tom Brady winning another championship. We've been through that bullshit now for 20-something years. I Enough is enough. Let's go Patrick. Let's go Mahomes. Let's go Mahomey. Let's go Kansas City. So I, I can see where you're coming from. Tom Brady's old school. Fundamentally sound. Great football intellect. Hardworking. Dedicated. He's going to outwork. He's going to last everybody type of great. He doesn't have the arm talent of an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have the athleticism of a Deshaun Watson or a Lamar Jackson that's going to make, ooh, I ah, can't believe that play. He doesn't have the arm strength of a Josh Allen that's going to, you know, missile it 40, 50, 60 miles on a rope down the, down the field. He doesn't have the arm talent to throw no-look passes like Mahomes or the arm angles or the incredible passes that Rodgers and Mahomes has. He, he's old school, man. He's fundamentally sound. I mean, he's not going for the dunk. He's going to just lay the ball and He ain't going to 360 it. He ain't going to double clutch it. You know what I'm saying? He's very fundamental. If he was a basketball player, that's what he'd be. He'd be that old school point guard. He'd be that Larry Bird type of ball player. He ain't going to jam on yet. He ain't going to do any of that nonsense. He's just going to fundamentally work you to death. He's like Luka Doncic, almost. Not flashy, not incredible, but uh, he's going to fundamentally uh, annihilate you. If that word is correct. So, yeah, from that standpoint, again, I can see where people are like, man, fuck Tom Brady. Fuck Tom Brady. Fuck Tom Brady. Nothing about Tom Brady says top 10 plays on ESPN. He ain't going to do that. That's not Tom Brady. He ain't going to scoot around like Lamar Jackson and do all this crazy shit. He doesn't have four two speed. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I can understand, understand where there might be a little bit of uh, haterism toward Tom Brady. Especially now, since he's going up against someone like Patrick Mahomes, who... Has not played in the league long enough for fans, people to start hating him. But if he starts winning and they start dynasting people, and Mahomes starts becoming clearly the best quarterback in the league, people are gonna start hating him. Oh, you better believe people better start are gonna start hating him. Shit, if he keeps having success like he's having, it comes around. Jealousy, hate, the haters, oh, they'll come out, don't worry about it. Very few 21st century athletes, by the way, of any type of greatness. Can go their entire careers without haters, critics for selfish reasons, fans of his or her team or heated rivals. You think out here in Vegas, you think people are sitting up there talking about, oh, Mahomes, Mahomes is so great. If the Raiders can't get anywhere because Mahomes is beating them year after year after year. You think out here in Vegas in the year 24, uh, 2024 20, or 2025, people are going to be like, oh, yes, Mahomes, he's just awesome. He's just great. He's just wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. Nah, man, people out here are going to say, man, fuck Mahomes. Any true Raider fans are going to say, fuck Mahomes. Yeah, I respect him in terms of, you know, the man can play quarterback, this, that, and the other man. But, man, fuck him, man. I'm not going to be up there, you know, cheerleading and doing all that type of stuff, man. Uh-uh. In fact, I'm going to cancel my State Farm uh insurance. Fuck him, man. I ain't doing that bullshit, you know. And, and, and give me some other conditioner for my air. I ain't using the same shit as that guy. So, hey, man. That's going to be Mahomes pretty soon. The Vickies, you know Mahomes is going to be next level great. When they're gonna have, if they're gonna be, he's gonna be that polarizing figure in terms. Either you're gonna hate him, or either you're gonna love him. That's the same thing with Tom Brady. No, no, no one is milk toast about Tom Brady. No one sits up there and is going, like, yeah, you know, I guess, yeah, Tom's all right, I guess. I mean, you know, whatever. This that, and the other. Now people are like, man, Tom Brady, that's my man, love that guy, that's my dog. Or people are like, no, I can't stand that guy. I want him to lose every single game. Why don't he just retire? I respect him. Each side respects him, especially if you love him. Even those who hate him are like, yeah, I respect Tom Brady, that, that and the other, but you know, I don't like that motherfucker because, you know, if I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, what well, what would I have to uh like Tom Brady about? If I'm the New York Jets if I'm a New York Jet fan, what what is there to uh slurp Tom Brady about? Give him his respect, respect due. Great quarterback, but that's all you're getting from me. You think Fireman Ed who gave up his <laughs> who gave up his tickets to sit up there? Down here in Brooklyn or whoever the fuck he's living living talking about, yeah, man, Tom Brady, he's fucking great. No oh, man, fuck him. So I can see that. But it's gonna happen with Mahomes. It's gonna happen with Mahomes. And this is a new age, man. This is 21st century shit in terms of athletes are more emboldened to speak their minds about other things than the sports they play. This nonsense about shut up and dribble, shut up and pass, shut up and no, 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 no. Fuck. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Man, these athletes, especially these black athletes, they ain't doing that stuff no more. And Mahomes has been vocal concerning social issues. He has spoken on racial issues. He's publicly given support to BLM. Remember the first game of the season between um, the uh, Kansas City football team and the uh, Texans? Where him and Deshaun locked arms with the other players on the team before the... uh, I don't know if it was before the National Anthem, during the National Anthem, after... I don't know when it was, but, you know, the fans booed him and all that, and all those type of things. So Patrick is not going to shy away. He's not going to shy away at all. And if you also think about outspoken black athletes of great acclaim throughout history, they've always faced backlash and, uh, and misunderstanding while they're playing. Now, once their careers are over and society moves and they, you know, society, society continues to move and a certain certain portion of the population Grows up, learns, educates themselves, understands. Then they're a little bit more revered, a lot more revered in some cases. But look, when Muhammad Ali, even before Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, Jim Brown, Kurt Flood, Bill Russell, LeBron, a lot of current NBA players right now, you think Muhammad Ali was 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 loved? Was uh, you know had the same love affair with society as he does? Well, he did when he, uh, after his, um, career was over and even near the end of his career and the tail end of his career. No, when he was Cassius Clay and changed his name to Muhammad Ali and refused to go be inducted to the Vietnam war, he, he, he wasn't, he was one of the most hated men on the planet. Jim Brown was always misunderstood. Kurt Flood was ostracized. He was, I hate to use the word blackball, but, uh. He was, um, was Kaepernicked from Major League Baseball because of the stance that he took concerning um, being traded from the St. Louis Cardinals to the Philadelphia Phillies, a place where the organization was clearly racist, where the manager at that time was clearly racist in a town that at that time was clearly racist. It's Kurt Flood, a black man who had a great home and a great living in St. Louis, he's like, no, you can't trade me like I'm a piece of garbage, like I'm a piece of meat. I'm not going. So that's how got Marvin Miller and that's how the germination of free agency started. But at that time, Kurt Flood wasn't beloved. Bill Russell wasn't even beloved in Boston. LeBron, I mean, how many folks out there are still hating on LeBron for taking my talents to South Beach? How many people still hate on LeBron? Shit, I remember black women at one time. I know people are up there talking about, no, not now, no, now, 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 now. Bullshit, black women. I'm calling y'all out on this one. A lot of black women did not like Kobe Bryant. Damn. Of course, I'm talking about when he was doing his thing in his prime with the Lakers. A whole lot of black women did not like Kobe Bryant. I know a lot of black women that I knew, when I asked them about Kobe Bryant, oh, they didn't like Kobe Bryant, man. They didn't like Kobe Bryant. They didn't like the way he looked. They didn't like the way that he married a uh, Hispanic girl. They did not like Kobe Bryant at all. So... When you're out there doing your thing, you get a lot of haters. But then as your career starts to die down and you move on, people then start to appreciate you more and that hate turns to love. That's going to be the that's going to be the journey that Patrick Mahomes is going to take. That's the journey that Tom Brady is going to take. 5 years from now. Let's just say for instance, let's just say for instance after 2023, Brady says, "All right, I'm done. I'm good." When 2028 comes, 2029 comes, Brady's going to be beloved. Brady's going to be a national treasure by that time. He's not now. He's a, he's respected, but he's not going to have the type of love that he's going to have in a couple of years after he retires. And right now everything's great with Patrick Mahomes, but believe me, if he if he continues to win, and if he continues to speak his mind on things, there's going to be some folks, there's going to be a lot of folks out there that are going to hate him. So, you know, that for this Super Bowl, kind of put that in the memory bank because that's going to be used later on, four or five years down the, down the road. That's going to be used in terms of when we start talking about home, Mahomes versus Brady, who's better? They're going to point to uh, Super Bowl fifty fifty five. Yeah, fifty five. About well, well, well. I mean, shit, man, Rocky Marciano still gets traction from beating Joe Lewis when Joe Lewis was 38 years old and had to come out of retirement. Rocky Marciano is still getting uh, juice and still getting credit and still getting props and still getting high fives and still getting handshakes and pounds from uh, him beating George Joe Walcott and Ezra Charles when he was a puffed-up uh, middleweight. So, I mean, you know, context and everything as time goes on it really doesn't go into the equation. So Mahomes versus Brady. Close, I don't think it's going to be Jordan versus LeBron, that type of thing. Uh, It's not going to be Jordan. It's not going to be Kobe versus LeBron either. I don't even think it's going to be Kobe versus uh, Jordan in terms of remember when two great athletes met for a championship type of thing. I, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. And especially when we're talking about football compared to something like basketball, where again, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady aren't meeting up against each other. Their teams are. But again, Patrick Mahomes does not play defense. Patrick Mahomes will not be covering any of the Tampa Bay receivers. Same thing with Tom Brady. So there you go. So what was he meant? Mahomes. Let me ask you a question. Before I ask you this question, let me tell you who I am. My name is Wendell Wallace. Who are you listening to? Wendell Wallace. What is this podcast? Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, the sports podcast. The most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking podcast you can find when you're speaking about sport talk. Booyah! R.I.P. the Stuart Stud. But if Mahomes in Kansas City beats Tampa Bay later on today, Was cement, I think it was cement Mahomes at the least star in the face of the most powerful sports league in North America, speaking about the NFL. My question is going to be, how is Mahomes going to use that power and platform moving forward? This, This is big. This is bigger than just holding up the trophy and I'm a champion and blah. That, that, that's great. That's wonderful. You get the opportunity once the pandemic's over to go to Disneyland and all that kind of good stuff. Fantastic. Wonderful. You got that half a billion dollar contract total. That's wonderful. You know, you got a child on the way, fiance, wonderful. Life is awesome. Life is great. But now, if you beat TB12, if you beat the Tampa Tom Bay Buccaneers, And right there, you're right there at the age of, what, 25, 26? Ooh, the type of responsibility, the type of platform, the type of impact that you can have moving forward in the years to come. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to... How receptive would you be? How receptive would sports fans be if you wanted to have the same voice and impact on social issues that the NBA players have. For instance. What happened if you wanted to be the NFL version of LeBron James. Not just in dominance. Not just in greatness. But also how LeBron uses his platform. His public figure status. To uh, try to do things. Is Mahomes going to be doing that? That's a question I want to entertain a little bit later on in this podcast. But I was I was thinking about that. It was like man. You know, the NFL is king. The NFL is king. Now, the NFL might not give players the liberties or might not give the players the opportunities to become stars just by how they're, you know, just because of the sport. I mean, when you're in the NBA, you don't wear a helmet. You're playing offense, you're playing defense. You got more opportunities. They can see your face. It's a much more beautiful game to watch in terms of the movement, in terms of what you can do, the skill. The game of basketball itself, I think, lends to uh, more folks to gravitate toward NBA stars because if you want to be a great football player, you need a football, you need pads, or you need other people to play football with. If you want to be a basketball player and you want to be like Jerry West or you want to be like Magic Johnson or you want to be like LeBron or you want to be like Kobe or MJ or Luka or Giannis, all you need is your imagination, a ball, and a hoop. That's it. You don't need anybody else. You can go out there for hours upon hours upon hours upon a hoop. Once they put the hoops back up, once the coronavirus is under control, And you can be out there and you can just let your imagination run wild. And you can be Steph Curry. And you can be Tim Hardaway, (laughs) the great Tim Hardaway Jr. You can be Bradley Beal. You can be all of these guys, you know? I think that always lends to more creativity to have people, younger folks, gravitate toward the game of basketball. Plus, basketball is not going to give you CTE if you play it more than 15 years. So those are the things. But my point is to bring that up is that while Mahomes might be the king of the most powerful sports uh, entity in North America, he might not have the same opportunities that LeBron had just because of the sport that he plays. But, But the fact that he's getting himself out now The Jason State Farm commercials, the other commercials that he's had, the fact that the NFL is going to catapult this guy in in terms of Main Street, in terms of Wall Street, in terms of, you know, getting his face out there. How's he going to use that? How's he going to use that platform? Yeah, it's nice to have foundations. Yeah, it's nice to help out kids. Yeah, it's nice to serve turkeys on Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's nice to help out the homeless. Yeah, it's nice to do all of those things. No doubt. No doubt. Ooh, are you willing to um, speak up on social issues when the time is right? Are you going to be very vocal when it comes to police brutality? Are you going to become very vocal when it comes to um, uh, racism and oppression concerning black folks? Because Let me tell you, Patrick, my community, our community, they're going to want that from you. They're gonna want. I don't. I don't think they're gonna let you, Tim Duncan or Derek Jeter, these uh, these opportunities or these issues. Where oh, he's, he, he just he can just go ahead and play. Don't worry about it. I think my community. I think the black community is gonna be like, hey, you know what? You've got a uh, you've got a platform, my man. You better go out and Jalen Brown and LeBron these things when you, when it comes to talking about the the injustices concerning our community. So. I'm going to be interested to see if those things are going to be brought to the table and how Mahomes, if he wins this game, those things being brought to the table and how he reacts to them. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Late night, baby, late night. NFL news I want to get into also on this podcast over the past, past NFL slow week. Since the coronavirus wiped out Radio Row and everybody going down to uh, Tampa for the week. And the interviews and former players hawking things and doing those type of things. So, uh been a slow week for, news week for the NFL. But, I would like to thank Brett Favre and Dick Vermeil for spicing it up a little bit. Former NFL employees who have expressed their opinions about the trade demands. Concerning the trade demands of... Uh, Houston Texans for now quarterback Deshaun Watson. Very disparaging remarks. I don't know what Favre... Favre was all over the place. Favre was like, you know, I don't like it, but I understand it. Uh, it happened before, but, you know, back in my era, it didn't happen. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Then Vermeil comes out, Vermeil's old school, and he's a coach. So, I mean, you know, whatever. They both made disparaging comments about Watson's desire to be traded from the Texas organization. Okay, that's fine. So, how much of the... Thoughts and opinions made by Mr. Favre and made by Mr. Vermeil. How much of that was ignorance, being out of touch, and why would they, exp- in expressing what they did, this, if you want to go down this route, expressing what they did concerning Deshaun Watson and his desire to play somewhere else and he should just shut up and pass or. Dick Vermeule talking about, you know, they should change his diapers and he'll grow up and he'll realize the opportunity that he's had, this, that, and the other. Two white guys criticizing a black guy. One super old school. One down south, the Mississippi boy, this, that, and the other. You know, Favre. Deshaun Watson, black guy. So, you know, some folks want to take the racism route. I think it had more to do with being out of touch and having to do with privilege more than, than racism. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call. I don't know Dick Vermeule. Never met Dick Vermeule. Don't know Brett Favre. Never met Brett Favre. So I can't say in all honesty that uh, they're racist. you know. But um, I think if you're going to try to characterize either one of them as racist based on that decision because of the color of their skin and the person that they were criticizing the color of their skin, I'm not going to buy it. Not going to buy it. I'll explain why I'm not going to buy it a little bit later on in the show. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just going over briefly what I'm going to be discussing today on the podcast. Went a little long with my Super Bowl and my whole Brady talk. But, you know, I started to rolling and I couldn't stop a stopping. Celebrating Black History Month, February. Bow down. Give us props. Give us respect. Give us your honor. So celebrating Black History Month on my podcast, Always talk about an athlete that had an impact on society for the betterment, sacrificing their lives for the betterment of others. Celebrating on this podcast, the life of Jack Johnson. Before the podcast, I celebrated the life and talked about the accomplishments of Joe Lewis. So the life of Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champion of the world. And why this fight or why his fight against Jim Jeffries, a.k.a. the Great White Hope, that's what he was coined back there at the turn of the century, July 4th, 1910, in Reno, Nevada. Why that fight, called the fight of the century, was one of the most or one of the more important events in this country. No, I ain't going to put it up there with a war. I'm not going to put it up there with a civil war. But just in terms of the impact that it had and the impact that we're still feeling in terms of 121 years later, yeah, this was huge. This was big. This was the foundation. Let's put it this way. There is no Muhammad Ali without Jack Johnson. Let's just put it that way. NBA, man, I I, I want to get that. So I'll be discussing Jack Johnson a little bit later on in the podcast. The NBA, what, what, what's going on here? What's happening? Can you explain this to me? Because I, I, don't, I don't get it. Interesting happenings on Friday night in Brooklyn concerning Kevin Durant. Did you see this game with the uh, Toronto Raptors? The NBA scratched Durant from the starting lineup then allowed him to enter the game in the first quarter playing. Then they yanked him off the court in the third. And it was all due to contact tracing and Durant's having come into contact with an individual who tested inconclusively for the coronavirus. He was pulled from the game twice. After Durant had shown antibodies and reached the test and tested negative for COVID-19 three times in 24 hours before Friday's game, So wait a minute, so all of a sudden now he's he's in contact with someone who might have the coronavirus, and because of that, let's hold him out. No, let's go ahead and let him play. No, let's go hold him back out again. So as James Harden said, wait a minute, if you guys pulled him in the third quarter, why didn't we just cancel the game? Or why didn't we just postpone the game? Because if you pulled him out of the game because of fear that he had the coronavirus, he played a couple of quarters against us. So does that mean that we have to be quarantined? Does that mean that the Toronto Raptors have to be quarantined? What's going on here? Is he playing or is he not playing? Now it's reported that Durant didn't travel to the uh, game against Philadelphia. He may sit a couple of multiple games due to contract tracing protocols for the second time this season. what, What happens if he tests negative again? How many times does he have to test negative before people are saying or before he's cleared to play? So why would he have to miss the game tonight against Philadelphia? Why the why is he in jeopardy of missing some games on the West Coast uh, swing that the Nets are going on? Because he might have been infected, even though there's even the testing shows that it's not he's not tested positive for COVID. He tested COVID. He tested positive for COVID before. So from my understanding, which is very little. Doesn't that mean that if you do catch COVID and your body builds resistance to it that you might not catch it again or you might not be able to pass it on again? Or I don't I don't know I don't know what's going on. And the, the, the thing that must irritate and upset not just the Brooklyn Nets but players around around the league is I don't know what the fuck's going on either. <laughs> Jeez, man. So look, he missed the Nets game at Philadelphia tonight the game in which they were playing without Kyrie Irving. And I don't know if he's going to be ready for Tuesday's game at Detroit. And then after that game against, you know, Philadelphia, and then uh, Detroit, they play at home against Indiana. Then they go on a five-day, five-game, eight-day Western Conference road swing, which also includes games against the Lakers and the Clippers. The game against the Lakers is on February 18th. That's a TNT game. That's on Thursday. And then the game against the Clippers, that's on Sunday, the 21st. That's a nationally televised game. You're going to put those two games in jeopardy? You're going to put the Nets game against the Lakers and the Clippers in jeopardy and concerning LeBron versus KD? We haven't seen that matchup for, what, over a year? And you're going to put that on ice because there might be a situation where Kevin Durant might have tested for COVID-19, even though he tested negative because he might have been around someone who might have had COVID-19, even though that's inconclusive? What's going on? This is a terrible look for the NBA. Absolutely, positively, undeniably terrible. Around the same time that the league is announcing that it's going to be doing everything it can to play the All-Star game, I believe in in March, March 9th, and you can't get your shit together on this? If I'm a player, why the fuck would I want to do that? If I'm a player, why would I want to play in the All-Star game? Especially when you get seven days off because of the uh, game. Why would I do that? Why would I trust you guys? And the nerve for one of the arguments for the uh reason to play the All-Star game is because well, you know, with the superstars, with the All-Stars, they're going to be within our sight. They're going to be within our grasp, within our reach during these 7 days. You know, if if you turn them loose for 7 days, you know, we don't have any we don't have any control over them. There's no telling what they might do. Damn, man! Really? Uh, really? Uh, we're, we're, this is the way you guys think of the tr- of, of your all stars. This is the way you guys think of LeBron and Luca and Nikola and Joel and Kyrie and James and Giannis and Kawhi. That's what you think about those guys. That oh heaven sakes alive we can't leave these guys alone for seven days they might catch the coronavirus or they might go somewhere where they're gonna catch the coronavirus okay James Harden might have given you guys a little concern for do we really want to let this guy you know these, these guys are, these guys are grown men uh, do you realize how insulted I would be again this is one of the theories this didn't come from the NBA officers or this didn't come from Adam Silver or anything like that but if i'm chris paul if i'm lebron if i'm any of these guys who have spent years in the uh, nba and done all this good work and and, and sacrificed by going to the bubble and all these type of things you really have such low feelings and thoughts about me about my intelligence level about my common sense about my maturity that i'm going to go ahead for 7 days and contracting the coronavirus the it might be greater the chances might be greater if I'm not under the watchful eye of Big Daddy. And I'm not talking about Big Daddy Kane. Ain't no hap stepping on all this one. I get the job done. But under the NBA guys, like, oh, yeah, we can't turn these guys loose. I'm going to be fucking assaulted. Fuck you guys. Fuck you. Let me tell you something, man. I got a wife and I got a fucking kid and I got a brand. I got businesses. I got hundreds of millions of dollars. I got employees. All right? I got my shit going on. If I'm LeBron, if I'm Chris Paul, I'm on any of these guys. And you come up to me with that nonsense on why we should play because oh my goodness gracious, if we give you 7 days off. We don't know what's going to be happening to you. Fuck you. Don't be worried about what happens to me for 7 fucking days. You get your fucking house in order. So what happened to Kevin Durant won't happen again. Don't be worried about me catching the coronavirus out of the guys, out of your out of your uh, jurisdiction, out of your uh, uh, disciplinary action or whatever. Don't be be saying that shit to me so the whole thing was just whack and brooklyn didn't play any defense and they lost to toronto but the game before i i lambasted them the game against washington then they came back big win against the clippers and then they turn around and lose to the toronto raptors so who knows who knows who knows but i just wanted to Throw that out there concerning the NBA. Oh, yeah, we can't. You know, we got to have an All-Star game because you know we leave leave these guys to their own to their own liking for seven days. We don't know what's going to be happening. Jeez, man, really, really. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, college basketball, give it up, (laughs) give it up. Come on, man, give it up. Georgetown, hold baby. Coming off their best win of the season, their most impressive win. Since the last season's game against Butler at Butler, where they played with only six players and won against a Butler team who was ranked and played in front of the fans. Last year against Butler, this was one of the more impressive wins in the Patrick Ewing era. Improved to five and eight, second win in a row. Wednesday night, they beat the 15th ranked Creighton uh, what the Blue Jays. Not Toronto Blue Jays, motherfucker. Creighton Blue Jays. Are there any Blue Jays in Nebraska, by the way? Well, they beat the uh, 15th ranked Creighton Blue Jays on the road, 86-79, basically led wire to wire. The Hoyas started off 9 of 11 from the floor to go on an 11-0 run and an 8-point lead, 21-13, then led 44-39 at the half. Javon Blair had 13.6 assists in the first 20 minutes. That was his best half of the season. Georgetown shot 57% from the field, 8 of 13 from the three-point line. And now I'm very calm. I'm like, cool. You know, good first half, but Georgetown's shooting 57%. Georgetown's shooting over 50% from the three-point line, and we're only up by five? We ain't going to be shooting 57% for the entire game. We're going to we're gonna mosey back down to the mid-40s, early, um, uh, low-40s. So that means in the second half, our offense ain't going to be that great, and we're only ahead by five. So I'm thinking, saying to myself, we had a good first half, proud of the guys, playing well. Wish we could play more consistently consistently like this. Again, I apo- apologize to Chudier Bile. And uh, I was just going to be like, all right, when things get down to the mean and Georgetown starts missing shots and they go six or seven minutes without a field goal and eight minutes without a point and everything, and then Creighton starts hitting their threes and they start getting their mojo back. We saw this before with Georgetown playing West Virginia, with Georgetown playing Villanova. You know, ranked teams, the ranked team comes out a little bit slow, a little bit soft, because it's like, we're playing Georgetown. Once we're able to turn it on, we'll be fine. So I thought in the second half, Craig would make the adjustment, Coach McDermott would make the adjustments, and they come out and they would win by eight or ten. And I could sit there saying, well, you know, at least for, you know, 25, 28 minutes, Georgetown played pretty well on the road with a ranked team that still, despite the fact that they're, what, a three seed in the... Uh, NCAA are still looking to gain some momentum. So I was like, this is going to be pretty good. Well, in the second half, Georgetown shot 33% to open up the half. But Creighton was only shooting 37%. And at 11.55, Georgetown led 57.54. So I was like, all right, you know what? We got to almost a 30-minute mark before Creighton decided to, enough is enough. Probably the guys. I'm really proud of the guys. Whoa. Then Georgetown went on a 10-3 run returning its advantages, you know, returning to you know scoring on the inside with uh, Quudis and Jamarco. And again, Chudier. So we go from being only up three to being up 10, 67-57, at the seven fifty-one mark. I'm still not there. I'm still like, oh, okay, all right. I mean, okay, all right. You know what? We played over 30 minutes with the 15th ranked team in the country on the road. Still like to see T.J. Bergman. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still on the freshman need to play kick. I still good time maybe to bring in um, um, Sibley, maybe you know maybe get TJ in here, Kobe Clark, you know that, that and the other. But I I, I thought all right, 7:51, by the under four timeout will be down by six eight, and everything will be like oh well, and Creighton made runs, but it never took the lead. The Blue Jays closed the lead to six seventy two sixty six, but Chudier Bile, Chudier fucking Bile, Chudier Bile. I want to apologize to Chudier, his family, his friends, his relatives, his coaches, his girlfriends, (laughs) anybody who's affiliated with Chudier, Mr. Bile, because the beginning of the year, I was killing this guy. (laughs) and, And you know what? A lot of it he deserved, but I was just like, why in the fuck are you playing this guy? Why in the fuck are you playing this guy? This guy shoots all the time. He misses all the time. He turns the ball over all the time. He makes bad decisions all the time. He can't stand up for anybody else any of the time. He fouls too much. He can't shoot free throws. What are we doing playing him? We can't play Jabari simply. He can't be any worse? Are we afraid to play Jabari simply because he might turn the ball over? He might take bad shots. He might be lost on defense. He might turn the ball over too much. Is that the reason why we're not playing Jabari? Shit. Chudier's doing the same damn thing. The only difference is Chudier ain't going to be here next year because he's a transfer senior. Play uh, Play Jabari. That was my deal over and over and over and over and over again when I say Chudier... Uh, B-Late coming to the game. I was like, great. We could have put in Kobe fucking Clark. We could have put in Jabari. But no, we got to put up with this clown. Oh, great. Another three. Another contested three after three passes and only five seconds left. Uh, only five seconds taken off the shot clock. Jesus fuck! What the fuck are you doing? I mean, Chudier gets the, get the ball. I'm like, give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up! <laughs> Just holding the ball. Like, give it up. Give it up. And then you can see him kind of get into a I'm going to try to do something, Stance. I'm like, no, 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 no. Then he starts putting the ball on the floor. No, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm a jackass because he last couple of games. We don't win that game against Providence without him. And he was a huge reason why we won the game on Wednesday against him. So, as I mentioned before, Creighton gl- uh, closes the lead to six, 7266. Bele and Wahab make a couple of baskets, bring it back to 10, 7666 with 309. Now it's like, am I should I start believing? Should I start getting excited? My heart is racing just a little bit. Sweat starting to starting to sweat a little bit. Starting to get a little bit more anima- a- a- animated. My eyes starting to get a little bigger. Bugging out like a stomped on toad frog. Should I uh, should I uh, should I believe? Should I bring myself up the up that mountain? Creighton closed the lead to 76-70, 70 with the 225. Fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, how are we gonna blow this game? How are we gonna blow this game? How are we gonna blow this game? But Javon Blair made a three-point bank shot from the left side, at the sh- shot clock was running out to make a 79-70. Ball game. <laughs> I was allowed to go, woo! Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. He's my friend. Georgetown won. So I was, I was letting loose with joy and happiness for that win. So Blair led the Hoyas with 22 points, seven assists, 15 in the second half. Coming from Chudier Bile. Patrick Ewing and Patrick Ewing and Pat We Trust. Man, got to give it to him, man. He played all the starters over 30 minutes. Harris played 35 minutes. Blair played 39. Pickett 37. Wahab 31. Bile 30. Off the bench, he only played three players. Don Carey, who was a sub in this game. He was a reserve. Bile started in his place. He played 16 minutes. Eagle Hefe, Timothy Ego Hefe. He played eight productive minutes, and simply, as I mentioned before, played eight first half minutes. But Sibley gets in the game with about five, six, seven minutes left to go in the first half. I'm like, young man, ball and ball as hard, hard as you can, because no matter what you do, on a positive note, you ain't getting back in. The, you ain't getting back in there in the second half. So don't be shy, don't be uh, deferring. You get that ball, shoot it, because when he's on the court, he very rarely touches the ball in the offensive sets. So, when you get it, let it go. If you miss, big fucking deal. You ain't getting back in the game in the second half anyway, so you might as well do your deal. But again, man, Patrick Ewing, my man can coach. He can coach. Yeah. I mean, is the jury out on if he can run a uh, college basketball program? Yeah, it's still out after what happened with McClung and Akinjo and LeBlanc and those guys and everything that happened last season. Yeah, still the jury's still out on. Ewing building a basketball program, but just in terms of coaching, just in terms of on-the-court coaching, and you know people want to point to this uh, example or this predicament or this situation to show he can't coach, he can't coach, he can't coach. You know, in terms of someone can coach or at least has the foundation or the baseline to be a good coach, does a team play? Do, do, Ewing's teams, they play hard. Those guys play hard. And they play unselfish. And the players improved throughout the season. So the players have been doing that. Bile, for example. Dante Harris, for example. Blair, for example. Wahab, for example. Pickett plateaued. But for the most part, Ego Hefe, what he's been doing. This guy is still considered a project. But he's gotten so much better from his freshman year to his sophomore year, from the beginning of his sophomore year to where he is now leaps and bounds that's coaching and you also have to remember this season's down they don't have the talent but being five and eight beat providence beat creighton in a situation where georgetown with the last team in the Big East to start practicing for the 2020 2021 season and everything that went down yeah patrick patrick ewing can coach and i saw two mediocre teams play today in duke and north carolina and I saw another mediocre team play in Kentucky who were littered with five-star recruits and awesome coaches in Calipari, Roy Williams, and Mike Krzyzewski. I'm here to tell you, Duke ain't getting in the tournament. I haven't followed college basketball that much so far, but I can tell you right now, Duke ain't getting in the tournament. North Carolina barely's going to get in, and shit. Kentucky ain't, Kentucky ain't getting in the N-I-fucking-T. And again, those teams are littered were four- and five-star recruits. In a year where you have teams like Houston and Iowa and Wisconsin, even though they lost to Illinois. And Illinois, who's ranked uh, who's ranked high, you know, the, 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 the Blue Bloods, Kansas lost to uh, West Virginia today. Another team that r- ran the show in the uh, Big 12 for years upon years upon years. You know, these teams who normally are the Blue Bloods of college basketball who get all the five-star recruits who win the... Uh, recruiting rankings they ain't doing too well this year so uh, we want to sit there and you know Pat Dewey can't coach and this and the other Georgetown 5 and 8 or 3 and 8 before the 2 wins this past week he can't do this and he can't do that what y'all gonna say the same thing about John Calipari fuck that man Calipari's been to the NCAA he's won a championship blah 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 okay but he sucks this year he ain't doing shit this year Roy Williams Krzyzewski how about this You guys need talent to fucking win. You need talent to win. I'm not going to go into the whole Patrick. I'll save that for another podcast. But in Patrick Ewing, we trust. And if you don't think that he's a good coach, either you don't know the game of basketball or you're just a fucking moron. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A few hours, they're going to be playing against Villanova. They'll be at Villanova. They'll lose, but that's fine. Um, Really quickly, before I take my first break, the second biggest day in college football uh, happened on Wednesday. Second biggest day in the season culture of the sport, I like to say. Signing day for the top high school players. Top five recruiting classes. Oh, here's a shot. The top five recruiting recruiting classes, Alabama, Ohio State. But coming in number three, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. Number four, Oregon. Number five, LSU. Interesting. Some of the other blue bloods. Their school rankings: Clemson came in at number seven, Georgia number six, Michigan number nine, Notre Dame number ten, Oklahoma thirteen, Texas sixteen. So the evil empire of college football does it again, huh? Alabama had the number one had the number one class in college football for uh, recruits for the night time in the last eleven years. How about that? And I get to talking about this is the best recruiting class if you want to go on numbers because. Um, Alabama has 7 five-star players and a whole bunch of four-star players and only a couple of three-star players so if you take the composite number of these recruits and you add them all together it's the highest rated recruit it's the highest rated uh, recruiting class in college football recruiting history ever since this stuff came into uh, fruition in terms of grading and and uh, rating the recruiting classes so Who knows, man? Who knows? So my thing is that is there anything that can be done? Because look, the same old shit every single year. And it's interesting that Nick Saban has won a national championship at Alabama every time he's had the number one recruiting class. Interesting to see how that works. Great coach, great players, championships. Hmm, How about that? I thought it was all coaching. So is there anything that can be done to shrink the enormous gap between teams and programs? like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. You you see this shit, right? You see these recruiting classes. This is the reason why Cincinnati could win every game 100 to nothing and never sniff getting themselves in the playoffs. That's the reason why uh, Coastal Carolina, it didn't matter what they did. Absolutely nothing. Coastal Carolina, just like Cincinnati, was never going to be considered for the college football playoffs. Never. I don't care if Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama lost four games. I don't care if Ohio State only played two games. Cincinnati is not getting in. They're never going to get in. A school from the non-Power 5 Conference is never going to get in. Never. So let's just even, don't even bring up that argument because what can they do? There's nothing that they can do. Now, if you're speaking about teams in the SEC or the Big Ten or the ACC or the Big 12, I mean, what's a school like Texas Tech or what's a school like Georgia Tech or what's a school like Vanderbilt or what's a school like Northwestern? What can they do to possibly shrink the gap? The only thing I maybe think about is the pay for play, right? I mean, we have the situation now coming up in a couple of years if the NCAA finally implements it, the fact that these guys can make money off their name and likeness. If I'm Oklahoma State, if I'm Iowa State, if I'm one of these schools in the SEC or the uh, Big 12 or something like that, and this stuff comes around, I am cheating my ass off. And I don't even know if it's cheating. I'm going to do something in terms of we got the four- and five-star recruits, even if this guy throws us any type of hint that he might be somewhat interested in our school in Alabama and Oklahoma and Clemson and Ohio start State start coming after this guy. I'm going to try to do something, man. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to try to do something. Car wash, not car wash, but uh, autograph signings. I don't know what I can do. Commercials. I don't know what I can do. But, you know, here, do the 30-second commercial, and we'll pay you $300,000 every time it airs. I don't know. I don't know. But I got to do something. But, of course, you know, Alabama ain't going to sit back and be like, oh, aren't they cute? You know, they're going to get out there with their big guns and do that also. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going to be happening in that. But Ohio State, Alabama, the the beat goes on. The beat goes on with those top-tier programs. All right, when we come back, I want to get into 50. Super Bowl 55, which is right around the corner, been pretty quiet this week in Tampa, exception of maybe one thing that's really not going to, uh, you know, chase the outcome of the game that much or play that big of a role in either team winning or losing, but for the most part it's been pretty quiet, nothing crazy, nothing unbelievable, no players have done anything stupid, no one was caught with a prostitute, no one got into a shootout, no one was caught sniffing cocaine with a 12-year-old's. So, uh, you know, no, none of that stuff. No, no, Nobody was caught with a preacher, a donkey, and a goat, uh, a gerbil, and a four, and a 14-year-old boy in a seedy hotel down in Tampa. You know, they stayed away from the strip joints. No mass gatherings down there. So, yeah, for the most part, uh, it was a pretty quiet week in Tampa for this upcoming Super Bowl. So, we will dive deep and take a look at what The teens need to do to become victorious next here on Wendell's World and Sports.
1: La palabra no dice nada y al mismo tiempo lo esconde todo, igual que el viento que esconde el agua, como las flores que esconde el lodo. Una mirada no dice nada y al mismo tiempo lo dice todo como la lluvia sobre tu cara o el viejo mapa de algún tesoro como la lluvia sobre tu cara O el viejo mapa de algún tesoro una verdad no dice nada y al mismo tiempo no esconde todo como una hoguera que nos
0: I'm your host, Wonder Waltz, so glad that you could I be with us. Put... A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Ah, Very soothing. Very nice. Very nice music. Very nice music. I was thinking about someone who I knew a little while ago, and this song brought the memory to my mind, so I want to give up a special dedication to a young lady I knew by the name of Raina, last name, not going to go there. But my friends know who it is. Just thinking about her. Just thinking about her on a on a beautiful night here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Super Bowl 55 is right around the corner, depending upon when you're listening to this. Again, this past week in Tampa has been quiet and boring, except with one sort of kind of little bit big exception. Kansas City assistant coach Brett, uh, Britt Reed, son of Andy Reed, under investigation following car, a car crash that left a child with life threatening injuries. Now, according to the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, three vehicles were involved in the crash. The police said that a, Chevy, a Chevrolet Impala was disabled on the ramp, and the driver called family members for assistance. The family members arrived and parked their. Uh, Chevrolet transverse south of the disabled car, then a Dodge Ram truck struck both vehicles. A four-year-old and a five-year-old in the Traverse were in uh, were transported to a local hospital, with the five-year-old sustaining life-threatening injuries. This is what the police said. So, police later identified Britt Reed as the driver of the Dodge Ram truck. Reed told a responding officer that he had consumed. Two to three drinks after the officer uh, observed an odor of alcohol emanating from Reed, as well as bloodshot and red eyes. Something tells me you don't get that after two or three drinks. According to the search warrant, Reed also told police that he had taken the prescription drug Adderall. In a statement, the Kansas City football team said the organization has been made aware of the multi-vehicle incident involving outside linebackers coach Britt Reed. Uh, we are in the process of, process of gathering information, and we will have no further comment at this time. Our thoughts and prayers are with everybody involved, which means that, yeah, we know what happened, but we got a Super Bowl to get ready for, so we'll worry about what happened outside of that once the Super Bowl is over. So, look, you know, I know Andy Reid has had, uh, I think he's had a couple of kids that have uh, have uh, you know, made some mistakes battling with some uh, inner demons or battling with some uh, other things concerning life. So, I mean, you know, him and his wife, you know, God bless them. See what they can do to uh, take care of that. But, you know, this is about the game itself. So, the fact that there weren't any or hardly any or not a lot of reporters or media down there to uh, go ahead and ask the coach and ask the players and have to give that statement time and time and time again is a uh, plus for Kansas City. And it's amazing and it's sorrowful and it's terrible and it's uh, crude and it's rude and uh, do, you know, put all of these things in terms of a football game when a four and five-year-old were taken to the hospital because someone had too many drinks and we're taking Adderall. I don't, I don't know what the mixture. I don't know what that combination does. And I wasn't there to see the accident. So I, I don't know. I don't know all the information. So before I start putting blame on somebody, let me just say, I don't know. I wasn't there. But, you know, don't let the Super Bowl get in the way of other life happening such as this one. So basically the organization, everybody else, we will look into that. We will deal with that once the Super Bowl is over. No one died Yet. So, we'll worry about that. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us the podcast. The game itself, Kansas City looking to repeat. Tampa looking to win the organization's second Super Bowl. You remember with John Gruden, they beat the Raiders back in the day. I think it was 48-21, some nonsense like that. So, some of the things that I'm thinking about, I think the main thing that we're going to be speaking about or the main talking point... During this game, when the main observation you should have while watching this game is going to be how well the Kansas City offensive line is going to hold up against the Buccaneers pass rush. As I I mentioned before, when you're taking a look at these high-powered offenses all throughout time, when you're talking about Super Bowls and you're speaking about the 1990 Super Bowl with the Buffalo Bills and the the no-huddle offense against the New York Giants, when you're speaking about Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins back in '84. With their uh, high-powered offense, Marino passing for an ungodly amount of numbers back in those days. When you're speaking about the 83 Super Bowl with the Washington football team, where they had scored the most points in the regular season history. When you're speaking about the undefeated 2009 New England Patriots, which came into the uh, game averaging an obscene amount of points, and the point differential was unbelievable. Anytime you want to try to combat these high-powered offenses, the greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams and their loss to the New England Patriots back in the uh, Super Bowl when those two played. It's its all about putting pressure on the quarterback. It's all about putting as much much pressure as you can on the quarterback. And Tampa's not going to win a shootout. I don't, I don't see them winning this game 48-45 or some nonsense like that. And for the uh, team to win, for Tampa Bay to win, they are going to have to put some type of pressure on on Patrick Mahomes. Easier said than done, right? Well, the projected Super Bowl starters for the Kansas City offensive line include four players who have been cut multiple times, and the fifth who has a seventh who was a seventh round draft pick from last season. Both starting tackles for Kansas City are out of this game. Mitchell Schwartz hasn't played since week six when he left early in the first quarter with a back injury he's been dealing with all season. So he's not going to be there. Mike Remers has filled in for Schwartz at right tackle, and he's going to be moved to left tackle due to Eric Fisher's injury. If you remember, he tore his Achilles against the, what's it? It was against the Bills, right? The Bills or the Cleveland Browns, one of those two. Either way, he ain't playing. So Andrew Wiley is going to slide over at right tackle. So we're, we're speaking about, again, some movement within that Kansas City offensive line where we're not taking a look at a bunch of Art shells and Gene Upshaw's or or uh, john hannah's or anthony munoz's the last time remmers was in a super bowl was five years ago five years ago against the carolina panthers he gave up three sacks against the uh, denver broncos von miller ate him for breakfast lunch and dinner and then an afternoon snack so you take a look at tampa Bay's front four you got denami kinsu venavia jason pierre paul shaquille barrett jpp and barrett are in the top five in sacks this postseason uh, the linebackers are very good for Tampa Bay. Levante David and Devin White. I expect Devin White to get a couple of sacks in this game against the uh, against the Kansas City football team. So how much pressure they can put on Mahomes, especially when Mahomes has been getting the ball out of his hands quickly due to the uh, deficiencies in the Kansas City offensive line. It's going to be it's going to be very important. It's so a you take a look at these games. The tenth Kansas City has been in in the playoffs. It hasn't been big play after big play after big play. They haven't been the big play offense that you might expect them to be. They've been killing you with a 1,000 cuts, a six-yard pass here, an eight-yard pass here, a five-yard out here, getting them in second and manageable positions, even though with Mahomes, second and eight, second and 11, second and 12, are still manageable, especially when you have the best tight end in the league going right now in Travis Kelsey and the threat, which is Tyreek Hill. So it's going to be up to the, it's going to be up to uh, Tampa, top bowl, the defensive coordinator, to put some type of pressure on the homes and that offense and to take advantage of the mismatch of the uh, hodgepodge, which is the Kansas city offensive line. Wendell's world of sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And on the other side, Kansas City is a bend but don't break defense. From the twenty-two to the twenty, they're fine. Once they get inside the red the red zone, they, they they stiffen up a lot better. Now against Cleveland, they didn't put too much pressure on Baker Mayfield. Buffalo they did a little bit better, but if the Buccaneers can establish some type of running game and offensive balance is going to be a big is going to play a big role in the game. If you take a look. At the losses to Tampa Bay. Or if you take a look at the losses that Tampa Bay has. Has. uh, The games that Tampa Bay has lost this season. The. Pass. Rush ratio has been completely out of whack. Completely out of whack. So this is a situation. If you take a look in the playoffs this season. You'll notice that the run to pass ratio. Or the pass to run ratio. Is a lot closer to 50-50 than the games. Than when they lost. So. Against the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, excuse me, Kansas City football team's defense, which is not super unbelievable against the run, they're somewhere around twenty-first overall defense. They're somewhere in the middle. That Levante, uh, excuse me, that uh, Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette are going to have to break some hay. Fournette has been very good. And he's playoffs off so far. He scored a touchdown, nice little spin move over the uh, right side to go in for a touchdown against Green Bay. He was good against the, he was good against the, um, um, who did man, who did Tampa Bay play? The, the uh, Saints. So, uh, yeah, he's he played a big role. He's going to have to continue to play a big role in that. So, as I mentioned before, Tampa ain't winning no shootout. If Tampa's going to win this game, you know, they're going to have to, uh, get down and get dirty with it. But if they do win this game, you're speaking about a run here, man. You're speaking about an unbelievable quarterback gauntlet that they've gone through. They beat Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers on the road. They would have beaten Patrick Mahomes at home. I say that because the Super Bowl is going to be at their stadium. So it's gonna be it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a tall task for Tampa. Kansas City wins this game, they would have beaten Baker Mayfield with the backup quarterback making possibly game-saving plays. If you think about the last two uh, series against the Browns, third and fourth down, where he ran for 13 and a half yards on third and 14, and then that one-yard pass to Tyree Hill over the right side on that shotgun formation offense. Then in the AFC Conference Championship, they beat the third or fourth best QB in the league and one of the hottest teams in the Buffalo Bills. So, you know, they're playing like, the best team in football right now. And if they're not the best team in football right now, they're playing the hottest team in the uh, Tampa Bay Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, yeah, man, I, I don't know how much more I can go or, go over. this. You, you, you realize these guys, you know, when well, they speak about that, what's going to be the key to the victory? Well, they're going to have to control the offensive line. they got to, to establish the running game. They can't turn the ball over. Yeah, no shit. I want to hear one analyst get up there and say, the keys for the victory. I think that they have to be devastated along the offensive line. They've got to be able to have the defense put pressure on their quarterback. And also, what also I think the key for victory, Mahomes is going to have to throw some interceptions. He's going to have to throw three or four, and it would be better if he threw them on his side of the football field. I think if they do that, I like Kansas City chances. I mean, what else are you going to say? Run the ball, establish the line of scrimmage, don't turn the ball over. Shit. Genius! They pay all you guys all that money to say that shit? So, I don't know what more I can say, man. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about it. It's just time to get it on like a Donkey Kong. Four Buccaneer players, if you're taking a look at the injury report, four Buccaneer players listed on the injury report include Antonio Brown, Jordan Whitehead, Levante David, and Antonio Whitfield Jr. They were all limited in practice, full practice on Wednesday. And Whitehead wore a non-contact jersey. I, You know, the Leva, uh, Levante David is going to play. I'm wondering if Antonio Brown is going to play. That could add another element. That could add a, a needed element for Tampa. The more offensive weapons that Tom Brady can use, the better. So, that's... That'll be something to uh, keep an eye on. I mean, Antonio's not going to play a whole lot of uh, minutes or a whole lot of snaps, but... You know, his presence out there can be a uh, can be a huge difference. And he doesn't have to be 100%. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Slot receiver, that type of thing. I mean, just move him around a little bit. See how many plays that he can uh, get on the field for if he's able to play. The only players from Kansas City not to practice on Wednesday were, of course, Eric Fisher and linebacker Willie Gay. Both are going to miss the game after suffering serious injuries. Sammy Watkins, the wide receiver, and LaVon... Bell, running back, are back practicing after missing the AFC title game, which is good. More weapons for Patrick Mahomes. I, I don't know what, what what else you want me to say about this game, man. I talked about the offense, talked about the defense, talked about the quarterback, talked about the running backs, talked about this, talked about that. It's just time to start the game, man. It's time to get it on. It's time to go ahead and say, you know what, fellas, game time. Let's get it on. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Doing this in the middle of the night, whether you want to call it a late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. This is when I'm recording this, so I am going to plow through this like I've never plowed through. <laughs> I've never plowed through anything before, because by the time I publish this bad boy, put in the music and all this kind of stuff. It's going to be late. It probably will be like three or four in the morning on a Sunday and a Sunday morning. And, uh, the Georgetown game starts at 11 and I want to get something to eat and there's some errands I want to run and there's the Super Bowl that I want to deal with and all of those other things. So I am going to, uh, see what I can do to get through this as quickly as possible. Um, interesting dilemma is about to happen if Patrick Mahomes, I discussed it a little bit in the last segment, but, uh is about to happen if Patrick Mahomes went the Super Bowl. How is he going to be regarded in the black community? My community. Is he going to be fully embraced as part of the community with all the responsibilities that come with that? Some black athletes and public figures don't want that. Some embrace it. Is he going to be allowed to play a minimal role in the fight for equality and... And opportunity and equality of those type of things is he going to be given the responsibility that we wanted Jordan or Tiger to have? But they just didn't want to have the uh, they didn't have the interest in doing so interest, uh, comfortability, whatever they they wanted to make money, they wanted to build their brand, they wanted to uh, do those type of things. So Tiger Jordan, we we wanted them to take that mantle. We wanted them to go ahead and express some of our grievances to uh to the masses but um those guys whether it be too selfish whether it be too narrow-minded whether it be too ill-equipped they just really weren't interested so for in the black community gave jordan a hard time about that while other folks were just like jordan this jordan that, and jordan had a lot of love from the community but there was also an equal amount of people or a decent number of people who were just like damn man i mean you, you really can't You know, black, I mean, Republicans buy shoes too. I mean, you really can't say anything. And Tiger, I I, I just think black folks like Tiger because he was a guy with dark skin winning golf matches and beating white guys. I think that's the main thing. I I, I never embraced Tiger Woods. No, have any interest in Tiger Woods. Good for him that he's an awesome golfer. Good for him that he's a cultural icon. Good for him that he's making boatloads of money. Good for him and all those things. But just in terms of who he is as a human being outside of the golf course, in terms of him helping out others from the community and that type of thing, eh, falling short, falling short. And he's, he's done some things. I mean, he has foundations and he's helped people. That's that's great and that's wonderful and that's awesome. But when you're at the position, when you're in the position that Tiger Woods is in, saying something, something. We're not asking you to be a bomb thrower. We're not asking you to be a LeBron. We're not asking you to be a Ali. We're not asking you to to do any of those things. We're not asking you to be Arthur Ashe. We're not asking you to uh, boycott. We're not asking you to uh, you know picket. We're not asking you to do any of that stuff. How about just acknowledge, acknowledge who you are. And I, I'm a Eurasian and all that, but fuck you, man. You black. Stop, stop with the nonsense. Stop with the bullshit. I don't want to disrespect my mother and everything. You black, man. You black. Stop it, stop it. You black. So if he just could have came out and said that, hey, you know what, you know my mom is this, my mom is that, this, that, and the other. But you know, I consider myself black. You know, love my mom. You know, love her heritage. Learning about her heritage. I know that uh, you know what's you know her heritage and everything is in me. I got all that, but I'm black. Acknowledge and then realize you're black. Never did that. Never felt comfortable doing that. Seemed like he was never comfortable around normal black folks. I don't know. I don't know. So with Patrick Mahomes, who was biracial also, is he going to be given the responsibilities we wanted Tiger and Jordan to have? Or are we going to have the same attitude we gave Derek Jeter and Tim Duncan? Derek Jeter never said anything. Derek Jeter never said anything controversial. Was very vanilla. Tim Duncan the same way. He never said anything despite being one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. And we didn't criticize him. We didn't expect him, those guys, to do that type of stuff. So I wonder where Mahomes is going to fall into this, especially now. When Dieter Dieter and Duncan and those guys played, I mean, it wasn't as prevalent for Black athletes to go ahead and have voices and give thoughts and they give opinions and, and basically rile up white folks and get them angry and, and that type of thing. So, you know, they're doing more than just shut up and playing sports. We're in an era now. We're in a generation now where it's almost if you're if you're black, if you're from the community, if you go to the barbecue... If you're in that area, it's almost expected of you. We're not going to sit there, someone of that magnitude, someone who has that type of impact, someone who has that type of presence, and have them sit there and be like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and play my sport and uh, take it easy. So with Patrick Mahomes, again, being the face, being the guy of the most popular sport in North America, the most popular team sport by far in North America, possibly for the next couple of years being the most popular and for the majority of his career being the most polarizing. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What does the black community want from him? Who's going to, is he even open to maybe speaking to those in the black communities who can say, Hey man, do you mind doing this? Or do you mind helping out with that? Or what's your thoughts and feelings about this, that, and the other? You know, what, what, what is his deal with that? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting because in this society that we live in, you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, the, the mix, uh, coming from, uh, mixed parents or coming from, uh, different ethnicities, the overwhelming majority of people on this planet identify someone as one race. So no one says, Oh, there goes Tiger. He's multi he's biracial. You're not referred to as biracial. You're re, re, um, you're referred to as black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Arab. No one's ever sitting there talking about, hey, hey, Mr. Biracial, how you doing? So look, Mahomes is the son of a black father, a longtime Major League Baseball pitcher, Pat Mahomes, and a white mother. No one's going to sit there and say, Pat Mahomes, he's biracial. No, no, Pat Mahomes is black. And to his credit, Mahomes identified himself as being black and being a black quarterback and having the knowledge, and having the uh, wherewithal and the common sense to know how important that is. The fact that he'll be the seventh starting uh, black quarterback to play in the Super Bowl. Doug Williams, Steve McNair, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Donovan McNabb, and Colin Kaepernick were the other six. So this is the first black quarterback, also when you're speaking about Mahomes, to play in multiple Super Bowls. So, hey, you know what What Mahomes said at the Super Bowl last season about the importance of a black man playing quarterback in this game? I got the quote here. He said, the best thing about it is you're showing kids that no matter where you grow up, what race you are, that you can achieve your dream. For me, being the black quarterback, having a black dad and a white mom, it just shows that it doesn't matter where you come from. Awesome. Appropriate response to that question. Bland. Boring non confrontational, comfortable for the majority. White people approved. It was a white people approved statement. I mean he didn't sit up there and start, you know, well, white folks did any other and he didn't he didn't throw any bombs. He didn't start disparaging, disparaging anybody. He didn't do anything like that. He was like, hey, you know what? Hey, where I come from, the background that I have, the fact that I am black, the fact that I do I am biracial. It just lets folks out there, it just lets kids out there, it just lets everybody know that uh, anything is possible if you have the talent and the dedication, and you put your mind to it. Cool. That's that's good. That's fine. Like I said, man, we don't need a we don't need a a Malcolm X moment for a question like that. So that was good. That was good. So I'm thinking about the public figures who are biracial. Of course, the most famous being still my president uh, Barack Obama. His mother was Caucasian, predominantly English ancestry, and his father is uh, African-born in Kenya. He had the birth. Uh, a certificate to prove it. First black, he was, Barack Obama's black. No one's sitting up there talking about, well, you know, Barack Obama's biracial. No, no, he's, he's, he's black. The man's black. The man is black. The man identifies as black. We know him as being black, and he's black. He's one of ours. So, I mean, we speak about others. Halle Berry, very strong in her blackness. Her mother's white, and her father, Jerome Berry, is black. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. If you smell, uh, what The Rock is cooking. His mother is Samoan heritage and his father who was uh, one of my favorites growing up along with Tony Atlas. He is a um, he is a black Nova's Scotian descent. Tiger Woods, as I mentioned before, his mother is Thai, Chinese, and Dutch ancestry. And his father, Earl, was mostly African American, but he's also Caucasian and possibly also Native American and Chinese. The man was black. The man was black. And Tiger, you're black. Again, Derek Jeter, mother's Caucasian, father's African-American. Alicia Keys, mother's Caucasian, father's African-American. So, hey, man, some athletes and public figures who are biracial, they're, they're required from my community to represent the black community. You know, some like Hallie, she takes that shit very seriously. Dwayne, I don't know where he stands. Dwayne hasn't come out for the most part and you know, one way or the other. Same with Jeter. Alicia Keys, very proud of of uh, the fact that she's black. So it's interesting, man. Again, it'll be interesting to see our community and our responsibilities that we give to Patrick Mahomes. And if Patrick Mahomes even wants those responsibilities moving forward, if he reaches the pinnacle on in a couple of hours or whenever and wins this football game. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Late night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, still getting it done, still rocking and rolling, still giving you everything that I've got, but whoo! Man, I am going to plow through this because I want to hurry up, get this published, and then go get some sleep. Georgetown's going to be playing in like five, six hours, and then the Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, want to hurry up and get this done, get this finished with. So, Deshaun Watson still with the Houston Texans. Former players, NFL players and coaches have given their thoughts and opinions about Watson's desire to be traded, as I mentioned before, with Brett Favre, a guy who for years, the last couple of years with the Packers, we're talking about, I'm going to retire, I don't know if I'm going to retire, I think I'm going to retire, then he retires, then he back. comes back as a New York Jet, then he retires, then he comes back as a Minnesota Vikings, so, when we speak about drama, Brett Favre, hey man, master class, but, uh, he gave his comments about the whole Deshaun, Deshaun Watson situation originally came in a video from Yahoo Sports uh, Minty Betts. He said, "Quote: well, It's a different day and time. It's not that long ago in some respects, but in others, it's light years. It light, it's light years ago when I entered the league. It was almost unheard of for a player to demand basically anything. John Elway did it when he." would not go to play with the Baltimore Colts, said he would go play Major League Baseball until something happened and ended up going to Denver. But other than that, I really don't remember maybe Phillip Rivers and Eli situation where one said he wouldn't play here and one ended up there and the other one ended up, ended up, I guess, where he wanted to. So have continued by saying that I'm kind of old school. I think you play, you get paid a ton of money to do a certain job and just do it and let the chips fall where they may. I think we make too much money to voice an opinion, but I'm not saying he's wrong. Again, I think it's a different day and time. It'll be interesting to see how the organization handles it. All right, where are we at? Where, where, where are we going with this? What is happening with this? What exactly is he saying? What is he trying to uh, infer here? What, what journey is he going down? It's a different day and time. It's not like long ago, but in others, it's light years ago when I entered the league. It's a different day and time. It's not that long ago, but it is light years ahead. A uh, light years ago. I mean, what are we... What? Huh? It's almost unheard of of a player to demand basically anything. Well, John, a. Well, John Elway did it, and Eli Manning did it. What? 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 What are you? What's going on here? What are you talking about, man? Just like the do don'ts. What's happened? Other than that, I don't really remember anything like that. I'm kind of old school. You get paid a ton of money to do a certain job. You just do it and let the chips fall where they may. Again, a guy who was in Green Bay talking about uh, I'm going to retire, and then he goes to the Jets, and then he retires so he can go to Minnesota. And, well, what? What? I think we make too much money to voice an opinion. What? Again, what? What are you talking about? Do you make too much money? Is it because of the profession that you're in? I mean, there's a lot of rich folks out there. Politicians make a ton of money and they voice their opinions. I know it's quote unquote their job, but damn, they make decent amount of money. They're around, uh, they're spouting off. They're doing stuff. Talk radio, hosting others, conservative, progressive, whatever. They make a ton of money for them to spout their opinion. So what is it? Is it because of the sport that you play that uh, you shouldn't be able to voice your opinion? Because the sport that you play, because the profession that you chose, because of the fame that you garnered from playing that sport really doesn't um, give you the right or really doesn't put you in a position for your voice to be heard or be thought of or be respected when we're speaking on something other than the sport that you play? I mean, Brett, are we going down that road or is it just that we just make too much money? Because, yeah, you guys make a lot of money, but there's a lot of other people who voice their opinions who make a lot of money also. Who make comparable amount of money that, uh, than you do. Than the sport that you play. The career that you chose. They make the same amount of money or even more. Or comparable. So do they have the... Uh, are they going to fall under the same moniker that they make too much money to voice their opinions? I think Brett was more talking about the sport that we play and the money that we make really doesn't give us, really shouldn't give us the platform, really doesn't allow us to have the platform to voice our opinions and voice our opinions with any certainty or with any type of impact or, or any type of consequences. Maybe that's what he was talking about, but I have no idea what the, I um. you get paid a ton of money, we do a certain job, and uh, you know, I let the chips fall where they may and I think we make too much money to voice an opinion. What? That makes no fucking sense, man. That makes no fucking sense. But I'm not saying he's wrong. We make too much money to voice an opinion, but I'm not saying he's wrong to voice his opinion. What? What's he voicing an opinion about? It's not an opinion. He's not voicing an opinion. He wants to be traded. So well, that's not an opinion. That's uh, that's a fact. The Sean is like, I'm just giving my opinion on what I would do if I wanted to be traded from Houston, Texas. No, he's not, no, it's a fact. So I think it's a different day and time. and It'll be interesting to see how the organization handles it. Yeah, that's, that's true. I have no idea where Brett Favre was coming from with this, with this, uh, with this comment that he made, with these comments that the statement that he made. No idea, zero. Dick Vermeil gave his thoughts and opinions about what Watson was doing. He was on uh, TMZ, and uh, this is what he said during the interview. What do they do in Houston? Because there's not many Deshaun Watsons out there, and if he's not happy, do you move him? Do you try to fix that? What do they do there in Houston with with Deshaun? Well, I think they change his diapers, okay? <laughs> his contract, nowhere in his contract does it say that he,
1: he's involved in making the decisions who coaches or who leads the organization. And I think when players get outside the role of what they really are, he's a great NFL football player and always has been a great kid, but uh, I, I think he just shuts his mouth and becomes
0: a better football player and lead the football team and let the leaders of the organization lead him. Does it bother you that we see this more in the NBA where they have a lot of say in where they go and we don't see it as much in the NFL. So it seems like that does bother you to hear somebody when he's under contract trying to dig
1: where he's going to play.
0: Well, to me, he's going to only play one place. Now I don't have any more knowledge about Houston. Uh, I used to have a little bit more because I knew the head coach, but, uh, I, uh, I just don't see him playing anyplace else, and I see him calming down, maturing a little bit, and and go be a good football player and earn the money they're paying him. All right. Okay, cool. I I think they changed his diapers. Okay, now nowhere in his contract does it say that he's involved in making the decisions of who coaches and who leads the organization. He's a great NFL football player and always has been a great kid, but I think he just shuts his mouth. I think he should just shut his mouth and become a better football player and lead the football team and let the leaders of the organization lead him. He was doing that, Nick. First couple of years, he was doing that. How did that get him? Where did that get him? Traded his best wide receiver? Screwed up the franchise? He did let the uh, organization try to get better. It didn't happen. One of the reasons why he wants to be traded. One of the reasons why he wants to get the hell out of there. Did you see, did you, have you worked with Jack Easterby? Have you seen this Clown? Do you know this background? Again, as I mentioned before, early in the podcast, I'm the Sean Watson, and I see Patrick Mahomes getting all this love. I see Baker Mayfield making it to the playoffs. I see Josh Allen being regarded as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I see all these young cats, who I'm better than, with the exception of Mahomes, getting all this love and attention and everything. And meanwhile, I'm stuck down here with a ratchet organization, going nowhere, making bad moves after bad moves, giving me things that... Um, you know giving me promises which aren't kept what the hell do you want me to do sit there and be like oh that's fine that's wonderful no problem let me just go ahead and have you guys continue to run this franchise into the ground what well, do i want to become a better version of matthew stafford is that what it is so after 12 years of doing nothing guess who's going to get the blame guess who's going to get a good deal of the blame in 10 or 12 years if i just shut my mouth let the organization do what it needs to do i can become a better football player but the bullshit he has around me and it ain't gonna make me any better in terms of getting close to winning championships, winning division titles, winning conference titles. No, man. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. Wrong, wrong decade. Wrong generation, Mr. Vermeule, for you to be saying that type of stuff. Okay. He, he, what, what, uh, what superstar these days is not somewhat involved in making the decisions? He was just giving his input. He would just say, hey, I'm representing the locker room to say this is the direction I think that we should go. And this is the guy who I think you should give a look to. This is the guy that possibly, maybe, you know, you should uh call up the phone and give an interview and say hello to. He's not he's not saying that I need to be the one making the decisions. But no, Deshaun Watson would never like, I need to be the person who makes the decision on which uh which person is gonna be coaching this football team next year. Deshaun Watson never said that. Deshaun Watson was, hey. All I ask for you guys to do is let me sit in on the interviews. Let me ask a couple of questions. Let me be a small part of this. And then I can give you my opinion of what this guy is. And that can be part of the equation in terms of you deciding who becomes the head coach. Why not? These are the, from speaking with the players, not just me, but from speaking to the players, these are some of the candidates that think that you should be interested in interviewing. Then from there, I can go ahead and say, well, you know what? I think with this, he was fine. With this, it was a little shaky. Uh, you know, with his uh, demeanor and with his plans and this, that, and the other, some guys in the locker room, I don't know if that's going to fly, or I know the guys in the locker room would love that attitude, or, you know, something like that. And the organization can take that material, can take that information, and use it in a process of deciding who's going to be the head coach, who's going to be the general manager and stuff. That's all Deshaun Watson's saying. He never said that I need to be part of the decision process in terms of, will you need to hire this guy. So, again, I, I don't know exactly what Dick Vermeil is saying. But, again, the days of shut up and throw a football or shut up and catch a football or shut up and run a football in the NFL, those days are over. Those days are long gone. So, yeah, back when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles, yeah, sure. I mean, that stuff worked. Ron Jaworski wasn't going to be the guy. Ron Jaworski didn't have that type of clout. Wilbert Montgomery didn't have that type of clout. Harold Carmichael didn't have that type of clout for Vermeule to be asking him, well, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? So, okay, in terms of in terms of the hierarchy, in terms of uh, uh, hiring coaches and GMs and that type of thing. So, I don't know. Vermeule also did an interview on ESPN first take, he said, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest with you, because, you know, the image that he has presented coming out of college and through the draft, through his career so far in Houston has been so positive, so positive. I don't think that his approach really reflects what he has presented over the past few years, you know, just shut up and throw. So I'm disappointed. I just don't think that anybody, whether it be that football team or the other thirty-one football teams start allowing players to step, on, step in to make decision, who runs them, who coaches them, and all these types of things. You want to make all the decision as an owner, then you buy your own team. Shouldn't? Let me ask you something, coach. Did you have any say in terms of you know the owner of who should be drafting the general manager? I mean, did you? have a say in those things also or did you just say you know what whoever you bring to me to to coach I'll just do the best job I can I know for I don't know for a quote unquote fact I don't think it was a fact but I'm pretty sure that when you were with St. Louis you uh, had a strong voice in terms of the uh, Rams drafting some guy named Lawrence Phillips Uh, you had a strong voice in that one so I mean for a guy who you know I guess you could say, if you want to use this argument, overstepped his bounds in terms of the players should just go ahead and play football and not be making the decision on who does this and who does that, if you want to do that by the team. Well, you know, it seemed to me, Coach, that uh, some of the decisions you made, you could be throwing that philosophy in your face. Look, you know, I'm the GM. I'm going to decide who I want to um, have on this team. You coach them. And if you don't like it, become the GM of the team. And if you don't like that, become the uh, owner of the team. So there. So, you know, all these know I I, some folks came out are oh, those statements racist made by uh, Vermeil and Favre no I don't think so much more I think it's much more out of touch being them being out of touch and, than, than racist I don't think Dick Vermeule is racist I don't think Brett Favre is racist I, I you know paint some more again of of, of of two people who are kind of out of touch you know I don't know if it's that generation that type of thing they've been conditioned to uh, think that way especially with uh coach Vermeil who's 84 years old so you know, he came from an era in a time when, you know, for the most part, those things definitely didn't take place. So I haven't heard anybody associated with any one of those guys, Vermeil and Favre, who are black, make statements that they were or are racist during their dealings with them. So I don't know those guys. I never talked to those guys. So I'm quite sure if I... I mean, Brett Favre around the league with the black players, he was pretty well respected. And as I mentioned before, Vermeil I've never heard anything in terms of... Uh, his dealings, where a black person was like, "Damn, man, that's kind of fucking fucked up." So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to call him that. I'm, I'm just going to say that, uh, you know, they, that they they're out of touch, and maybe with a little bit of of it, their privilege privilege, you know, maybe it's rare for a black person, like Deshaun, as accomplished as he is, so young in his career, uh, to be uh, wanting to uh, be traded, but. You know, the the thing that I want to ask, and I'm asking this here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with yours truly Wendell Wallace. The thing I want to ask these folks who are sitting up there talking about, well, he signed a contract, he should be honoring the contract instead of asking for a trade, he's bailing on his teamwork, the loyalty and all the kind of stuff. We always hear that a lot, or that's always a discussion point, an opinion point, when... An athlete was, is like, you know what, man, I need to be traded. I, I need to be gone, especially after he signs a contract or especially if he had been put in the time. The difference between Matthew Stafford um, finally being traded or coming to the organization and asking for a trade is the fact that he's been there for 12 years. The organization's going in a different direction also. So it was a mutual agreement that these guys need to part ways. Jared Goff, Sean McVeigh, their relationship had deterred to the point where it was a situation where a change of scenery for golf and a change of quarterback for the Rams organization and McVay's organiz- uh, McVay's uh, uh deal that was all in the works that was again a mutual understanding that was a mu- mutual agreement that would benefit both the player and the team so okay i get that i understand that but People are saying, you know, Deshaun just signed a four-year, sixty million contract. He's one of the highest-paid players in the game. And now, before the, even the extension fully kicks in, he's up there wanting to be traded and asking for a trade and demanding a trade because he isn't uh, part of the interviewing process. He's not part of the hiring process and all this type of things. This is bullshit. This is horrible. Once again, athletes showing no loyalty, showing no honor, showing no respect. With any other. Let me ask those folks who have that argument. Let me ask you this. Why doesn't that apply to both parties? Why why is it that Watson is showing a moral or a character flaw by asking for a trade, but it's acceptable for an organization not to honor the contract agreement by trading the player to whatever franchise they decide whenever they want to? Why why is that not a uh, situation where Damn, man, I can't believe it. this is bullshit. Well, this team just, this team just signed this guy to a couple of years. Why isn't it, why is it that the Rams aren't, aren't getting criticized and saying, damn, you know, you just signed Jared Goff. He threw for 20 touchdowns and 13 interceptions last year. You know, he led the team through the playoffs. He's been a loyal so, soldier. He just shut up and passed the ball. He does great work in the community, this, that, and the other. And you're going to trade him already. And not only that, you're going to trade him to the Detroit Lions. Of all places? Man, that's bullshit. Why don't you honor the commitment? Why don't you honor the contract? Why don't, the, why don't you honor the relationship that you have with Jared Goff? If he's upset, go ahead and talk to him. See what you can do to mend this relationship. You're just going to just, you know, just say fucking it and, and leave? fucking and let him go? Again, the, the, the organization has all the power. The organization can trade you anywhere that you want to, anywhere that they want to send you at any time. Unless in your contract, you have a no-trade clause. But other than that, for the rank and file, they can the organization can trade you anytime they want you. So why is it that the player who demands a trade, a player who sees that this organization is going nowhere, a player who, by the way, it wasn't his decision to go to that franchise to begin with. Because of the draft, he was selected by the team. He didn't have a say-so. This isn't college recruiting. This isn't a free agency. This is not a situation where these guys coming out of college have to uh, can go anywhere they want to, can take their visits, can take their time, can take their uh, education on these organizations and these communities. No. If a franchise wants you, then you're going to be drafted to that franchise. So I don't understand this situation where it's like, oh, I can't believe that you know this guy wants to be traded. But yet again, the organization can do anything that they want to. And if the organization... In football, if they sign you to a contract, they don't have to honor that contract. They have to pay you your signing bonus, but that contract in football aren't guaranteed. So if the organization feels that, you know what, either for saving money, they want to go ahead and clear cash space so they can go after somebody else or whatever, those guys can say, you know what, see you later. Take it easy. Bye. You know, we only have to honor this contract. Yeah, you signed a five-year deal, but you know what, we can uh, relinquish you after three and we don't have to pay you the full amount that's being uh, reported. So we don't have to do that. Patrick Mahomes is reportedly going to make $503 million over the next 10 or 11 or 12 years. The Kansas City football team, they don't have to pay him that amount of money. I don't know how much of it is guaranteed. But if the football team in Kansas City, the professional football team in Kansas City, years down the road, feel that it's time for Mahomes to uh, not be part of the organization anymore, they'll let him go. There's no honor of that. You don't think, the, you don't think Kansas City is going to honor that contract commitment if they don't have to, right? If it's not advantageous for their team, Kansas City isn't going to honor that contract. If they feel down the road there's a better quarterback that they can draft and groom, they, they're, they're not going to be hesitant to uh, do that and start grooming this guy to take Mahomes' job. It might be happening in 2033, 2034, but eventually it's going to happen. You saw what happened with the Green Bay Packers, with uh, Brett Favre. I mean, yeah, was, uh, Aaron Rodgers drafting Jordan Love, didn't give him any wide receiver help, didn't really do anything to uh, put any skilled players around him. That's okay, because guess what? Aaron Con- Aaron Rodgers had a contract where in a couple of years you can get rid of him and it's not going to be a hindrance to the Packers organization moving forward financially. So There's no loyalty amongst organizations. If a If a football organization finds an avenue, finds a way to get better as a team, believe me, they're going to do it. And if it means not honoring the totality of a contract, well, then so be it. Who cares? So, again, why is it that the organizations in football don't get hammered like this? Where's Dick Vermeule coming out when this happens with organizations training football players? Where's Brett Favre coming out when organizations do the same thing? He's a player, for God fucking sakes. So why why isn't Brett Favre? voicing some type of outrage or I don't know what that was the uh reason he gave, but why isn't he coming out when a player is traded that doesn't want to be traded in football. Happens all the time in other sports. Happens in baseball, happens in basketball. So never never understood the uh well this is bullshit, this is horrible, you know, DaCon Watson this Deshaun Watson that so wait a minute, DeChaun Watson Watson is requesting a trade and you guys are all up in the ass about that. But yet and still, if there was a situation where the Houston Texans could move in a different direction, I mean, as a, I mean, Bill O'Brien got clowned for the move that he made trading DeAndre Hopkins, but the organization didn't. Bill O'Brien got clowned for the move that he made because of the one sidedness of it. But Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans didn't get clowned or criticized because they showed no loyalty to one of the best wide receivers in the game of football. What what, what what's up with that? What what happened with that? Dick Vermeil, I mean speaking about I spoke about Brett Favre, I mean some of the hypocrisy he showed in terms of, well, I don't know, we just make too much money and we should just let the chips fall where they may and yet at the end of his career Brett Favre was threatening to uh, retire every 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 15 minutes. Dick Vermeil he left UCLA after 2 seasons to coach the Philadelphia Eagles. Where was the loyalty in that? Or does it just reside in pro sports? Maybe it was a situation. I don't I wasn't around during that time, but maybe the situation after uh why coach Vermeil left the uh, Eagles or left UCLA was because maybe his contract was up or something like that. Maybe he was going on a year-to-year contract back then. I don't know, but how much loyalty did he show UCLA? Coached them for 2 seasons, two successful seasons and then used that to catapult himself to an NFL gig. Not not blaming the guy. Not criticizing the guy. Hey, that's great. You know what? Use your leverage. I'm, I'm all about that. You want to uh, better your situation? You don't want to coach in college? You want to coach in the pros? You want to give the opportunity to coach in the NFL? Go for it, man. I don't care. So what if this team signed you? So what if this team or university or whatever expected you to be coaching that team for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Hey, man, you know what? That's fine. Time for me to go. Because the first time that I have a losing season... Second time I have a losing season, guess what happens? Y'all going to fire my ass. So there ain't no loyalty between coach and school and school and coach or coach and organization and organization and coach. You do what's best for you. I mean, this is your profession, for heaven's sakes. So you only got an infinite amount of time, especially if you're a player. Deshaun Watson ain't going to be able to play professional football for the next 30 to 40 years. So, you know, he's not going to – every time that man takes the field – He's taking minutes seconds off his life. you can't play a sport like football and expect to reach your potential as far as life expectancy is concerned, the amount of punishment that you that you get. and that's his choice. That's his uh, decision. He's a grown man he can make that. He knows the consequences of playing football. But as long as he's going to do it, he's going to maximize everything that he can in terms of not just financially, but also in an environment where he can be as successful as possible. So power to the people, power to the player in this situation. Have, have no idea what Vermeil and Favre are talking about, but I, I just laugh at the hypocrisy of it all in terms of, of a player request to trade. Worth of loyalty, worth of honor, worth of respect and all this type of thing. When the organization traced that player, you hear crickets. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. The last segment of the podcast, Wendell's World in Sports after dark. I ain't going to be doing this shit again, I tell you that much, next time I record something that's going to be either in the morning, afternoon, or evening. My uh, cutoff point in terms of recording a podcast is officially 10 o'clock. <laughs> Started this bad boy at around 1130. It's now, what time is it now? Good Lord, it's two o'clock in the morning. Woo!
1: Woo-hoo.
0: All right, Black History Month. February is being Black History Month in this country. So because of that, I always like to give a shout out, give a special dedication, give a lesson in terms of the black athletes who have helped move this country In the right direction and has sacrificed the betterment of themselves to go ahead and do it. This podcast, I am giving out a special dedication, throwing out a special dedication to Jack Johnson, the first black world heavyweight champion. As I mentioned before in the segment long, long, long ago, the original Muhammad Ali without Jack Johnson, Ali would not have been as impactful as he was along with Malcolm X. But um, yeah, everything... If Ali was a guy who was um, fighting around the same time that uh, Jack Johnson was, he would be that type of person, except for the fact that uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, would not be chasing white women and marrying white women at that time. So Jack Johnson came into prominence in the decade when 878 black people were lynched during the decade of 1900 to 1910. He held the championship belt for seven years, 1908. To 1915, for more than 13 years, Jack Johnson was the most famous and most notorious black man on earth. He was strong, unapologetic of who he was, arrogant, defiant, intelligent, black as black can be. He was raging in his blackness. He was just black to the blackest black. And he wanted to let everybody know it, and especially white folks. At a time where it was... Mad, mad racism, this, that, and the other. Black folks uh, being lynched and that type of thing. The fact that Jack Johnson had the nerve not only to be the most powerful man on the planet, which was the moniker you received when you became the heavyweight champion of the world, but the fact that he would flaunt his blackness, that he would flaunt the status that he had to go ahead and not just have sex and date white women, but to marry them at that time, unheard of, unbelievable, unthinkable. At that time, it was unfathomable for anything like that to happen. Jack Johnson did that and he said, fuck you to white America who opposed to those type of, you know, who opposed to that. So that's why I was saying unapologetic of who he was, arrogant, strong, defiant. And at that time for a black man to have those type of characteristics and being intelligent, shit, that is the... uh, that drove, not only did it drive white folks nuts, it scared the hell out of them. Absolutely scared the hell out of them. So during his time as as a boxer, a man fought until he was 53 years old, off and on. But he was a professional boxer until he was 53. He fought 114 fights. He won 80 of them, 45 by knockout. Um, boxing rec ranked him along as one of the best 10 heavyweights of all time 12 times and placed him at number one from 1905 to 1909 um he was arrested went to jail on uh, let me see he was arrested october 18 1912 uh, on the grounds that he had a relationship with lucille cameron white woman and that was a violation of the man act against transporting women across state lines for immoral purposes uh, due to her being an alleged prostitute, of course, Johnson at that time being the heavyweight champ of the world, and even before being the heavyweight champ of the world, being the profession that he had, boxers, underground hootlums, uh, horse, uh, you know, uh, pe- folks who uh, rode the horses and that type of thing, they were going to these brothels, that was their lifestyle, I mean, they were just, they were, you know, they were a male horse, so they were going and... uh have their fun at these brothels, and at the time where white women was supposed to be the end-all, the be-all, I guess that false moniker still applied today, but, you know, to get a piece of that that white fruit, that forbidden fruit for, for black folks, uh, Johnson just couldn't resist. So, he would, you know, try to basically bang every white woman that he could that he found attracted to. Well, again, during that time, unheard of, unthinkable, so... In a situation where to try to diminish his power and to try to ruin him, the divided, racist, ignorant states of America decided that hey, you know what? We got to do something. We got to got to throw something. And the Man Act was not against. I mean, you couldn't use the Man Act against one person, but the government was like, man, that's all we got on this guy. There's nothing else that we can uh apply to Jack Johnson that's going to um, derail him from wherever he's going in a positive direction for black folks. We need to put them back on the plantations. We need to make them second-class citizens. We need to make black folks understand that you are not better than the white man, that you are not superior to the white man, that you're not even close to the white man. So with Jack Johnson being the Pied Piper for black Americans to finally wake up and realize w- who they are and what they've got and what they can use I mean, we need to oppress that. We need to make sure that shit does not happen. So Jack Johnson, along with Booker T. Washington and a couple of other black intellects, were like, "Hey, man, we need to uh, go ahead and see what we can do to uh, stifle this, the, the impact that Johnson has." So they came up with the Mann Act. So he was arrested October eighteenth, nineteen twelve. Lucille Cameron, the person in the relationship. Uh, who soon became his second wife. She refused to cooperate, and the case fell apart. So, if it don't succeed, try and try again. Less than a month later, Johnson was arrested again on similar charges. The man, at this time, the woman, another alleged prostitute, her name was Belle Schreiber. And at this time, the second time, he was found guilty and sentenced to a year and one day in prison. So... Johnson said, fuck that. He skipped bail, left the country, was a fugitive from justice for the next seven years. He lived in exile in Europe, in South America, in Mexico, before finally, after losing to Jess Willard in 1915, no longer the uh, champion, running around all over the country, he wanted to come back to uh, America. He surrendered to federal agents at the Mexican border and was sent to the uh, United States Penitentiary Leavenworth. The service sentence in September of 1920 and then was released on July 9th, 1921. Hardly did he, you know, have the same dealings of a prisoner as a normal prisoner. In Leavenworth, Jack Johnson basically did whatever he wanted to. Got up when he wanted to, ate whenever he wanted to, hung out whenever he wanted to. So basically, it it wasn't the typical uh, stay for a uh, prison inmate, but the fact that he was convicted of those charges were bullshit to begin with. So Jack Johnson was a guy who, again, was uh, very instrumental and very important in the movement of this country. The fight of the century, as I mentioned before, one of the more important uh, more important events in the uh, 20th century. July 4th, 1910, in Reno, Nevada, the James Jeffries versus Jack Johnson fight. James Jeffries was the former heavyweight champion. He was undefeated. He had beaten John L. Sullivan, and who was the uh, who was an icon uh, during that time. He had beaten Bob Fitzsimmons. He had beaten a couple of other folks. So basically, when he retired back in the turn of the century, 1903, he was undefeated. He was thought to be, you know, the greatest of the greats, the heavyweight champion. Again, back in those days, back in that time, the heavyweight champion meant power. The heavyweight champion meant prestige. The heavyweight champion was one of the more prestigious titles someone could have and represent in terms of power and might and direction and everything in in, in that situation. So, Jeffries, when he retired, undefeated, yeah, he was still considered the heavyweight champion because he was undefeated. No one uh, beat him. So, here's Jack Johnson comes out and finally gets an opportunity to fight for the heavyweight championship against Tommy Burns in Sydney, Australia in 1908. Um the f- film was stopped. The the coverage of the fight was was halted at the moment that Jack Johnson became the first black man to win the heavyweight championship as he was pummeling and he was beating the shit and he was emasculating and he was uh, uh doing everything to humiliate to humiliate Tommy Burns physically, mentally, everything. So after this beatdown, after 14-15 rounds of just getting his ass whooped. The police and the authorities in Australia just told the folks to shut off the camera to stop filming moments before the fight was officially stopped. So there really, there hasn't been any recorded uh, viewing of Jack Johnson winning the heavyweight championship. As I mentioned before, it cut off moments before that prestigious, that historic moment happened. So James Jeffries was retired. And Jack Johnson was up here to beat up Stanley Stanley Ketchell and he's uh you know romping through all these white folks. So the white white America was like, we need somebody to beat this guy. We need a white guy to beat this guy because to have a the have the heavyweight strap around Jack Johnson is horrific, is dangerous, is terrible. Because as I mentioned before, what the heavyweight champion represented You would just go on the assumption if you were white that that moniker would be applied to only white folks. Because if you're speaking about the biggest, you're speaking about the baddest, you're speaking about the most powerful, that would apply to white folks. It wouldn't apply to second-class citizens. It wouldn't apply to the inferior black people here who are still slaves, who are still picking cotton, who are still inferior to us. This is the white people's thinking during that time. The large majority of white folks who thought this way. So... To put this title, to have Jack Johnson have the title of heavyweight champion and all that it represents is extremely, extremely dangerous. So we need to do everything humanly possible to get that belt off of Jack Johnson and put it back to where it rightfully belongs to the white man. So after Jack Johnson was beating up all the the great white hopes, as they called them, who were more than than, uh, hopes, they were jokes, So after everything like that, they were like, the only person who could do this now is Jim Jeffries, James Jeffries. So we we need this guy to come out of retirement and take the belt away from Jack Johnson. As I mentioned before, he retired undefeated. He retired the heavyweight champion. So naturally, with blacks being as inferior as they are, and we're speaking about the greatest of the greats of uh, of white folks in terms of the heavyweight champ, James Jeffries, of course, if he comes back, he's going to... Go ahead and take the belt away from Jack Johnson. Well, 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 well. So for the right price, James Jeffrey, who once said, uh, as far as when he was going strong and the possibility of fighting Jack Johnson, he said that I'm not, I am, I'm I'm not going to fight a Negro. I'll fight anybody else but a Negro. The reason why he came back, he said, I'm going into this fight for the sole purpose of of proving that a white man is better than a Negro. All in the boxing match, huh? That's going to prove who's better? Okay, whatever. So, Jeffrey was labeled, as I mentioned before, the Great White Hope. So, huge deal. They were supposed to have it in San Francisco, but because at the time, pugilism was looked on in such a negative light, you know, the evangelicals, and the evangelicals have just been fucking up this country for, I don't know, God, how long? Why do we listen to those jackasses? But, you know, evangelicals and preachers and pastors and everything were like, this is barbaric this is bullshit this is nonsense stop the fight stop this stop this pagan uh, ritual this is horrible so the fight was canceled but Tex record who was the promoter said well fuck that you know what there's just too much money to be made so where can i hold this fight well the governor or the mayor or the, the head honcho in reno at that time were like oh shit we'll take it <laughs> we'll take this fight because we know how much of an attention-getter it's going to be. We know how great it's going to be for the economy. I mean, hell, we're living in a place now, I mean, we know the better. We just, we settle disputes by shootouts and by duels and by gunfire. I mean, this is tame. This is just two people punching each other in the face. Compared to how we usually settle disagreements, this is a walking apart. Yeah, sure. Come on, Jim. Come on, John. Go have, uh, uh come on down and uh, uh, Jack. Excuse me, come on down and uh, get the thing on. We'll gladly take it. So they had to hurry up, build a uh, arena for them to hold everybody for this fight. And July tenth, uh, excuse me, July fourth, nineteen ten. That's when it happened. Reno, Nevada. Jack Johnson beat the shit out of Jim Jeffrey for fifteen rounds. The fight was scheduled for forty five. Could you imagine today a fight scheduled for forty five? Well, Johnson beat him up after 15 rounds and taunted him and laughed at him. And it was clear very early that Jeffries, who hadn't fought in, you know, five, six, seven years, was in no condition, was in no... wouldn't say condition, but, you know, he just didn't have it. You can't can't take off in seven years and then come back and be like, yeah, I'm the same guy who was in his prime. Can't do it. Even though Jeffries later on said, look, man, even in my prime, I wouldn't have been able to beat this guy. He was just too good, too strong, too defensive, too skilled, just too everything. So you know, I, 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 he's the man, fuck it, he's the man, I g- gave it everything I, I, uh, I got, but, um, uh, more power to him on that one, so, as I mentioned before, what was the impact, why do I say that July 4th, 1910, fight of the century, the great white hope, Jim Jeffries versus Jack Johnson, the most notorious, infamous black man, maybe the most infamous, notorious man in this country, this country at the time, <clears throat> Why was this fight so important? Why was this fight so meaningful? Why was this fight so historic? Not only was it the matter of settling black inferiority against white supremacy, another block, another thing, another notch that was taken down or another tree that was chopped down in the thinking that, well, there's just no way. There's just no way that black folks can be Uh, on the same level or better than white folks on anything concerning education, concerning uh, athleticism, concerning anything. Black folks are inferior. Black folks are nothing but slave. Black folks are nothing but chattel. Black folks are nothing more than to um, be at the whims and do everything that the white man tells them to do. I mean, they have no other meaning. They have no other purpose on this planet, in this country, for anything else. The fight between... Jack Johnson in Jeffries proved it was like Joe Lewis fighting Max Schmeling about 28 years later in terms of, wow, you know what? Another myth has been debunked inexcusably, uh, without question, in terms of, you know, Black folks doing this and Black folks doing that. Another ignorant stereotype has been taken down. So to move this country forward... Jack Johnson had to do what he had to do, and he had to do it in a way that was so obvious that there was no discussion, there was no counterpoint, there was no argument any other way than to say that, damn, now maybe you could use a Jack Johnson with an anomaly or something like that, no, 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 no maybe, 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 but for the right-minded people, for those who had a brain, it was obvious that, you know what, in this situation, uh, black folks, uh, hmm, interesting, interesting, so... The aftermath of that fight, riots occurred throughout the country in major cities, race riots, race riots occurred in Atlanta, Cincinnati, Houston, New York, St. Louis. We're even talking about small towns such as Keystone. Have you ever heard of Keystone, West Virginia? Me neither. Have you heard of Mounds, Illinois? Have you ever heard of them type of places? Well, race riots were happening. Along with Baltimore, Chicago, Clarksburg, West Virginia, Columbus, Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, Fort Worth, Johnson County, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, here I come, Little Rock, Arkansas, Los Angeles, Louisville, New Orleans, Norfolk, Virginia, Omaha, Nebraska, Philadelphia, Roanoke, Virginia, Springfield, Illinois, St. Joseph, Missouri, and Wheeling, West Virginia. They all saw racial disturbances in terms of... the the outcome of that fight. If white folks saw black folks celebrating after the uh, fight between Jeffries and Johnson, they were attacked, they were brutalized, they were killed, they were lynched, that type of thing. It's unknown how many people were actually killed and injured during the riots, but it's estimated that between 11 and 26 people were killed and hundreds more were injured. So uh, yeah, we speak about race riots in this country. That was a race riot right there. So that was the impact of that fight. And normally, when a heavyweight fight happened, that they would show the highlights or they would show the replays at the movie theater. So you'd go in to watch a movie and before the movie would be shown, you would see uh, a fight. You would see the fight in some instances. Well, because of the violence that is instigated between Jeffries and uh, Jack Johnson, because of the... Uh, violence that incurred from people just watching that fight, mainly white folks, not like black folks were going out and uh, hunting white folks. It was the other way around. So to put it into that, they just didn't show the fight. So they stopped showing the fight because of the violence that would incur when people would watch that. So yeah, man, that was the fight of the century, 1910. Uh, Name any other instance where there's been race riots in this country where blacks and whites went at it over what? Nothing, right? I I can't think of anything. Jim Jeffries, Jack Johnson, the fight of the century, July 4th, 1910, Reno, Reno, Nevada, it happened. So Jack Johnson was a guy, again, not just one of the greatest heavyweight champions of all time, not just the guy who paved the way who was one of the foundation, was one of the founding fathers of the civil rights movements, and the ability for Joe Lewis to uh, go ahead and do anything. When interesting though, when Jack Johnson lost the heavyweight championship to Jess Willard in Havana, Cuba, in nineteen fifteen, I think it was April eighth. So when he lost that fight. It hampered Joe Lewis in a way because when Joe Lewis was clear, clearly there in terms of a guy who would compete for the heavyweight championship, white folks were so afraid and so concerned about what would happen if Joe Lewis became the heavyweight champion again. We saw what happened the first time a black man became the heavyweight champion. Man was out there running around screwing white women and being arrogant and defiant and giving hope to black folks and all these type of things. We don't want that to happen again. So it was a long time. There was a gap between Joe Lewis winning the championship and Jack Johnson winning the heavyweight championship to where there were numerous black fighters who were able, who were uh, skillfully able to win the heavyweight championship that uh, that were denied because of the fear that Jack Johnson had put into White America the time that he was a heavyweight champion for seven years. So the the impact moving moving forward. So, you know, you speak about Gene Tunney and you speak about uh Jack Dempsey and all these types of guys, they didn't fight the best fighters in the uh, in the world. Now, Gene Tunney fought uh Jack Dempsey twice and after he beat him the second time, the long count fight, he retired undefeated except for one draw. But, you know, there was a there was a time after Jack Johnson uh, lost that championship, Jess Willard, and then he lost, lost to Jack Dempsey, who then lost to Gene Tunney. During that time, you know, there were plenty of great heavyweight fighters. Sam Langford was one. Uh, uh, oh, Joe Jeanette was another one. These black fighters who were uh, qualified to fight for the heavyweight championship, but those guys, but the um, but the uh, powers that be said, nah, that's okay. <laughs> We, we saw what happened the last time a Negro won a championship. but We ain't going through that shit again. So that only did it affect those great fighters, but again, moving up to uh, Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis had to have a whole set of rules in terms of you can't be smiling. You can't brag and boast when you beat an opponent. You can't be seen with white women under no circumstances whatsoever. You had to be polite. You had to be subservient. You had to be meek and outside the ring. When the Inside the ring, you can beat the shit out of these white folks as much as you can. But as I mentioned before, you don't brag and boast about it. You don't run around with white women. You're not uh, ostentatious in your uh, outside life, in your personal life. You know, don't don't be out there. You know, getting in front of every camera and partying and doing all these types of things. You have to be meek. You have to be docile. You have to be subservient. You have to be non-threatening. You have to uh, be those things just to get a chance at the heavyweight title. Joe Lewis was none of those things, but. Because of uh, his responsibility to the improvement and movement of his people, that's what he had to do. Jack Johnson was the total opposite. Jack Johnson was the Muhammad Ali of his time and remained in the spotlight and remained boastful and remained camera hungry and remained a guy who wanted wanted attention all the way up until his death in 1941, died in a car accident at the age of 68, so... Believe that he's buried in, I think he's buried in Texas or Houston, somewhere around there. But, uh, yeah, that's Jack Johnson for you, man. That's Jack Johnson. James Earl Jones played, uh, played, um, played Jack Johnson on Broadway, a young James Earl Jones. And uh, Ali went to go see that movie, and he was like, hey, man, that's me. <laughs> James, that guy's doing me. Except for uh, chasing white women, I mean, that could be my story. So, um, yeah. Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champion of all time and a true American hero and a true pioneer. All right. (sighs) I am done. I'm done. Hallelujah. I am done. I'm quite sure you're saying that too. That motherfucker's finally done. Thank Jesus. But uh, I want to thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I hope that you enjoy the Super Bowl. I'll be giving you my thoughts and feelings about that. And I guess after the Super Bowl, I'll save it for later. But man, what's exactly... What are you going to do as a sports fan now since there's no football? What exactly are you going to do on your weekends? Georgetown? College basketball? I mean, you got to wait for March Madness, but that's only a short little stint. Holding out for baseball? I'll talk about all of those things on my next podcast. But right now, I am going to sleep until Wednesday afternoon. All right. All right. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberties. You know what? Kim Weston sounds infinitely better than the the nonsense I uh, just did. Love, peace, unity. Miss Weston, lift every voice and sing, if you would, please. Peace.